Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. And welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 21. Big show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. And today's guest, really proud to present, Jeremy Cornish. And, uh, and Jeremy and I sat down, we uh, managed to coordinate the times, of course he's over in the UK, so there's a 7 hour time difference, so that was a bit of a battle, but I'd like to thank Jeremy for staying up late, I was it was easy for me, it was in the middle of the afternoon, but uh, he stayed up late, answered all the questions, was a great storyteller, and uh, I, you know, I, I know he's been on other podcasts, and uh, you know, and they put their, uh, every podcast is different with the different uh, um, approach that they take, and uh you know, I, as anybody who's uh, familiar with the show, um, you know, I really like the timeline. And we start right in junior, and we go all the way through his North American uh, uh, minor league days, and then over to the UK, and we break it down year by year, and teammates and opponents and stories. And, and I think you guys are really digging it. It's a really in-depth look at, uh, you know, well, it doesn't get much more in-depth than the conversation I had with them, and we cover everything, and Jeremy was was really great and uh, big shout out. I know I've said it a bunch of times in the interview, but I'll say it here as well. Uh, big shout out to uh, uh, Paul and John, uh, John Searson and uh, Paul that runs the UK fight site. Uh, without those two guys, um, it, this would have been this interview wouldn't have been half as good as it was because they they supplied me with a ton of information and uh jeremy's fight card and and it was great and uh, i can't thank those guys enough and i talk to those guys all the time on here anyway and we're always you know a bunch of fight nerds talking and it was uh you know i i always enjoy talking to those guys i gotta get those two jokers on the show and we could we could really break down a have an in-depth uk hockey talk but uh no thanks boys i appreciate it and uh yeah, and like I said, I know Jeremy's, uh, you know, got a lot of fans over in the UK, and I imagine a lot of you are listening right now, and th- thank you very much for tuning in, and like I said, I know there's lots of uh, hockey podcasts out there, I mean, nowadays, you know, you you know, everyone and their dog's got a show, so I know, uh, you know, and like I would say, there's only so much time in the day, so I understand that, you know, you, you can only listen to so much, so thank you very much for tuning into this, I really appreciate it, and uh and, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope you stick around. And, and like I said, this is episode 21, so please go back and listen to the other 20 episodes. Uh, got some great interviews with uh, John Morasti, Sean McMorrow, Dean Mayrad, Joey Tedarenko, Steve McIntyre, um, you know, as well as fellow fight fans. And, uh, you know, from the history of hockey fights to uh, to Steve over at when Probert was king.com. Um, you know, I like to, uh, you know, Bobby Longgrass, the bucket, bucket drop podcast. He had, he has an interesting story. Um, like I said, you know, I know spit chiglets and, you know, 31 thoughts and, uh, and and all those big, big name podcasts. Uh, you know, like I said, as little guys, you know, we're, we're trying our best and we're all fighting for airtime. And I think, 
you know, I always say I'll put I'll put my interviews up against anybody. Like I said, we uh, I go I go really in depth, and uh, and all my guests have been great. Just this last episode, I had out Kent Staniforth, uh, an old nineteen nineties WHL veteran, and took on everybody, and and he had some great stories, and and it was really interesting with Kent. Um, when he was in Moose Jaw, that was Mike Babcock's first coaching job. So, and at the time when I interviewed Kent, um, Babcock was still coaching. So it was an interesting take. And uh, like I said, and Josh Mazer, you know, an old uh, Western Hockey League tough guy. I mean, you know, I said, you want to know, I always say, you want to know how tough Josh Mazer is? Fought Eric Goddard 11 times. That's all you need to know. Tune in. Uh, believe me, great stories. Got a great Sasha Lakovic story. And uh, um, yeah. And like I said, I, I think if you go in and, and, and start searching around and listening to a few of these guys, the boys all have good stories, and uh, I highly encourage everybody to go do that. Also, I want to thank everybody for participating in my Twitter tournament, the Bob Probert Invitational, the fourth annual, uh, 64 guys, uh, kind of a March Madness style breakdown, and we vote every day on the different rounds, and uh, we're down to the finals now at... Um, uh, as I'm, rec- I'm recording this Monday night, I wanted to get out ahead of this, but uh, and it looks like it's going to come down to a Derek Bugard Tony Twist final. Doesn't get how do, how do you argue with that? Doesn't get much more tougher. Doesn't get much tougher than that. So, um, but thank you everybody this year who took who took part in voting. Um, <clears throat> lots of conversation. Everyone was really respectful, except old Tom out there in Surrey. Yeah, the old Surrey reporter there. I'm not going to Surrey it too much because I think I think you got into the Chardonnay a little one night and decided to flap your lips. I noticed you deleted all your tweets, but actually, it was real disappointing that uh, that you would uh, say stuff like that about the guys that are participating. But uh, you deleted it, so I won't uh, go in any further. But uh, I hope old old Tommy Z there. I hope you learned your lesson. But um, we won't even get further into that. But I was I wasn't real happy with you that night, you know. But uh, no, other than that, uh, guys, like I said, we're on the Hockey Podcast Network. They cover all the NHL teams are covered. And it looks like, you know, of course, with the game, with the teams and uh, the league heading back to playing, uh, those, all those, te- those team podcasts should be firing up here soon. They'll have stuff to talk about. You know, pretty tough to be a, you know, like a Boston Bruins uh, podcast when Bruins aren't playing. So you can only talk about the draft and prospects so much. So, but uh, once the season gets rolling back up again, they'll, the, you know, those guys will have lots to talk about. Of course, you have Terry Ryan over on the network as well. And, you know, you know how TR is always dropping the stories and getting guests. So, uh, you know, I encourage you to check him out. And then off the network, you know, my boy Alec over at Five for Fighting had me on on Sunday. We He did a, a Bob Probert special when he had Danny Probert, Bob's widow, on and myself. Um, just talking because uh, on, uh, of course, Sunday that just went by here um, was the 10th anniversary of Bob's passing. And, uh, and man, I can't believe it's been 10 years. But uh, so he wanted to do a Probert special, which is a great idea, and uh, it was a lot. It was an honor for me to be on there, and then uh, you know Danny was on there as well, so that was really cool, and and it was really cool. I know she's a big fan of the actual the Twitter tournament that we do as well. I've talked to her about it, so that was that was always really cool to hear. And like I said, when you get the endorsement from uh, Bob Probert's wife, it's always uh, <clears throat> it's always a good thing. But uh, yeah, and then of course Joe over at the Coliseum Chronicles just did a two part interview with Aaron Ashen. Joe always kills it. Of course, Bobby Longgrass over the Bucket Drop podcast, he's killing it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, so, you know, gotta, I got to get my plugs in for my guys. But, uh, 
Also, if you're uh, sitting on the computer, you hit old YouTube, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube. I have over 2,000 videos on there. So please subscribe and uh, go down that rabbit hole and check it out. Any league you're looking for, just type it in in the search. It'll come up. I got everything sorted, and uh, I think you guys will really dig it. I know I've been really kind of... Uh, advertising that lately try you know with on twitter and stuff and uh and uh the the subscriber counts really been climbing in the views you know and of course the the views to my profile with this tournament uh have been huge so um that's been great and i want to thank everybody for doing that but uh i won't yap too long i won't keep yapping here because the jeremy our interview is so long but uh before we get rolling i always like to say you know with these podcasts, of course, with the network, we have advertisers that we need to talk about. Hold on, like I say, don't hit the oh, don't hit fast forward. Listen to me, trust me, you will dig this. Um, I know my listeners, I know my followers on Twitter. I know you guys are big into hockey jerseys. I'm not a jersey guy myself. Well, I got a few jerseys kicking around, but if you're in the season start and you want to, you want or uh, I guess it's not really starting; it's continuing. Uh, you know, got to get some jer- the home home team pride. Uh, you know, uh, do I got a deal for you? Coolhockey.com. Uh, they've been around since the '90s. You know, out of Toronto, they I've asked around. They're legit. I've asked my Jersey friends. They said they've ordered from there before. Good stuff. High quality. No problems. So, do I have a, all? All you got to do, go there. Pick out whatever jersey you're looking for. You want to get it. I mean, they got all the players and stuff. But hey, if you want to customize it, like I said, you want to put God of Thunder '69 on the back. Whatever your your jersey, you do what you want. Hand knit. Got the fight strap. I mean, we're not talking the knockoffs. Well, this is legit. This is what the dudes. This is what the dudes are suiting up in. Upon checkout, just type in THPN, the Hockey Podcast Network, thirty percent off and free shipping. I went and checked it out. Did a, I always say a, a Brian McGratton custom Calgary Flames third jersey number number sixteen McGratton, hundred eighty dollars Canadian shipping, free shipping, out of Toronto. And you can't beat that with a stick. So there you go. Don't say I ever did anything for you. THPN CoolHockey.com. And like I said, it's not. And like I said, I'm not getting a big portion of this money or anything. This is going to the network to help the boys out. They, you know, they're they're uh, sponsoring and and putting out. Uh, what is it? Third, like I said, thirty some podcasts. So to keep all us idiots in line, you know, would be a, a chore in itself. So and the Isha Dylan and them are doing a great job. So you know, if if, if buying a couple jerseys gets them a couple bucks in their pocket for for doing all this work, I think it's probably it's worth it. Plus, passing on the savings to you, I think. I think, hey, that's a hell of a deal. Like I always said, I was when I was at the mall, three hundred dollars they wanted for these jerseys. Said so you got to have rocks in your head, three hundred dollars. But I could get behind one hundred and eighty. And when I was at Jersey City, they sure as hell didn't have any Brian McGratton jerseys. You know, I'm not down with Jack Eichel. You might be down with Jack Eichel, but I'm not. I'm not wearing one of those. I'd wear a McGratton jersey though. Hell, I'd Buffalo Sabres Rob Ray Brad made look pretty sharp. Jack Eichel, nah, not so much. But hey, if that's what you're into, there you go. Hell of a deal. So there you go. There's my ad suggestion. An ad read, an ad suggestion. How's that? That'll work. But. Uh, no, how about we get rolling here? And uh, for every, like I said, thank you very much for tuning in. Like I said, I know there's a lot of podcasts to listen to, and uh, the fact that you chose this one, I really, I really appreciate it. But uh, let's get rolling with JC. All right, thank you very much, guys, and pl- and enjoy this interview with my interview with Jeremy Cornish. Thanks, guys. All right, here we are on the uh, episode 21 of the Fourth Line Voice, all the way over in the UK. My guest today, Jeremy Cornish. Jeremy, how you doing today? I'm good, Darren. How you doing? 
I'm doing excellent. Thank you very much for taking the time to uh, to, to sit down with me today, and uh, we're gonna and go over your career. And uh, I think this will be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to sitting down, relaxing, and having some stories. Well, like I said, and like uh, before we even get going, I have to give a shout out to uh, to Paul and John out there for helping me uh, put this together with the fight card and the footage, and uh, yelling at me to not screw this up. And uh, and uh, I know they're big fans of yours, so uh, no thanks to those guys. Yeah, definitely thanks, Paul and John. Um, those boys did a lot for me uh, since I've been over here, so they definitely deserve a shout out. Absolutely. Um, well, let's, well, you know, we'll start right at the beginning. Uh, you're, I know you're an Ontario boy, so uh, where did you grow up and uh, and when did you start playing hockey? I grew up at a place called Lucan, Ontario, which is about um, 15 minutes north of London, uh, a couple hours away from Toronto, and I started playing, um, actually, I started playing about seven, so a couple years later than most of my friends, but I got involved about seven years old, skated right from probably two, um, but started hockey, organized hockey about seven. There you go, and um, well, as you progress through the uh, through the minor hockey system, um, like were you always uh, like, did you kind of uh, uh, take to the physical side of hockey, or like were you always kind of a physical kid? Yeah, I think I probably was, um, but the, the only issue was I didn't grow till I was about. I think when I was sixteen, turning seventeen, I grew. So my uh, at my parents' house, you know, you'll see some photos in in the in the pee wee photo. I'm you know the smallest kid at the end. But in my first year midget, I'm the tallest kid in the back. So, you know, I had a, I had a pretty big growth spurt, and that's probably when um, that's probably when I played a bit more physical. No fighting or anything like that in minor hockey. No. But, no. Um, you know, once junior came, then that, that, that started. Did, um, did, you play triple, did you play AAA midget? No, absolutely not. I played, I played double D midget. So, obviously, by, the, by your town size, I don't know if it's like that where you are. Yeah, okay. But I came from a pretty pretty small village so I played double D and then I affiliated with the junior D team so we've got you guys have junior C junior B don't you yep so we had junior C and junior D where I'm from and our town had a junior D team okay so I affiliated with them for two years during midget and then I went away to play junior A after that so I played both my years of midget I I was definitely definitely a late bloomer so that's that's how that worked well, it's interesting. So, like, so you're 17, and you and you go and play junior A in the Ontario Junior League uh, with the Aurora Tigers. Um, That's right. And you know, right off the hop, I mean, you know, 46 games, 100 pims. Um, were you? Did you know going in that you were going to have to play uh, physical? And because I mean, obviously, it's junior A, you can fight now. Um, yeah, was that right. something you focused on, or was it something you fell into? And it's like I'm kind of good at this, so. Yeah, I think more so like that. And I always, um, you know, even from that age, I was looking at the. You know, always looked at the tough guys. Always liked Probert and and Twist and Grimson, and and even for, even from a younger age, I still liked all those guys, and that's what I watched. So it, it was funny because when I went to ju- play Junior A, which was about two and a half hours from my house, so um, I wasn't even meant to go there. There was a, a coach scouting a player from a Junior B camp, and I was at that camp, and I had gotten in a fight and done done relatively well so so that's how I got picked up that day um the coach approached me after the after the tryout gave me a business card and I went home to and I was just you know I didn't have any aspirations I didn't know I was just trying out for a local junior b team to to play there there was no thoughts of junior a or you know playing in the minors or anything or going to europe or there was never any thoughts of that so it was this guy hands me a, a aurora tigers card brad selwood the coach and I went home, and my dad was having a company golf tournament, and he just looked at me. He didn't, he didn't believe me. 
then the next week I had moved down there. So I was about a one week turnaround. I was in with Billups and moved away and to play junior A. Well, wow, that's awesome. did you um, did you take any uh, in, any boxing or anything, or did you just kind of you're well? I'm just going to throw these lefts and we'll see what happens. Yeah, you know what? Um, I didn't take any boxing lessons at that time. I only took I only took one lesson before I moved away. My dad there's a there's a there's a, a guy from my hometown named Jason Ganey who is a boxer, um, very very successful boxer from our area. And a long story short, my dad had paid him a case of beer to put me through some paces on a heavy bag. So we, I went to visit him, and we um, he put me through, I don't know, maybe an hour of how to punch, how to property punch, how to protect myself, blah, blah, blah. And that, that's, that was the only boxing lesson that I had before I was shipped out. Well, there, well, there you go. Uh, you know, we'll just dive right in, but... Uh... But it's interesting. I was looking, yeah, like you said, Brad Selwood, uh, you know, longtime WHA NHL player. Yes. And then I noticed the goalie coach was Mike Palmatier. Yeah, that's right. So I got a, I got a, the best thing, and, and then the other coach was Dan Dau. I don't know if you saw yeah. that anywhere. No, I didn't see that part. I just saw so, it on so hockey because I heard uh, Palmatier yeah, is quite co- the character. Oh, he was awesome. We were playing. There was one game we played. I love talking about this stuff because it brings back memories, but there was a game that we played maybe in Ajax or somewhere, and it was an away game, and my dad would travel to all the games, so this game was maybe three hours from the house, and in those times, it was one fight and you're out. And I remember I'd gotten a fight. He was an assistant coach, and he wasn't on the bench, or maybe, I can't remember if he was on the bench or not. Anyways, Mike Palmatier was speaking to my dad, and Mike Palmatier told my dad that was the best fight he had ever seen, and I think it's because my dad had driven three and a half hours to watch the game and I got kicked out in the first shift. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there you go. Oh yeah. You love the, yeah. The first shift of the game after the three hour drive. Yeah. yeah I bet you, you were real popular in the, uh, in the, in the lunchroom after that. But, uh, yeah, I did that. Too. And I used to go home quite often. If we had a couple of days off in between, I'd go home with, go home to my, go home to my house, my parents' house. And I remember there's a couple quiet car rides. I think one night in Collingwood, I got kicked out in the first shift as well for a fight. I got the old, I can't believe I've just driven three and a half hours for 10 seconds of ice time. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's interesting on that team, you had some interesting teammates you had, uh, that kind of went on too. I mean, you had Tom Gustopoulos and Daryl Moore and Rob Davison. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a couple other ones there. Jason Medopoulos went on to play um, a little bit of, of minor. I think he played in Wichita and Flint for a handful of games. And uh, Morsey was a good player, steady. Um uh, Davidson was a big, big, big boy. He was he was a big boy. I think he went on to play in Indianapolis. Yep. And then who else did you mention? Was there, oh, Kostopoulos. Yeah, I ran into him a couple times. I ran into him again in Laredo. Um, yeah, so I kind of always, yeah, those guys all, all kicked around for a while. Yeah, well, then uh, I was looking at the, the league leaders. Uh, how, how's uh, Darren Hayter just running show of 71 goals? Yeah, you know, I can't. I think we played against him. That league was so big back then, yeah. as it probably is now. But I think we might have played against them in like one of those college kind of showcase weekends types of things. But and, and that's all I kind of remember from him. What team was he with then? Was it Milton? Ah, uh, I will. I'm clicking here. We'll find out. But I'm bringing uh, it up as well because I can't really remember. Uh, Milton, yeah, you're correct. Yeah, it was Milton. Yeah, so I do remember that. Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, he went on to obviously a, a pretty successful career. Absolutely. Yeah. He. Uh, yeah, but it was it was interesting uh, when I was looking at your roster to do uh, 
you know, for for that many guys to go turn pro and stuff, it uh, it was quite uh, surprising. Yeah, I think they had quite a few though, because they had won the, the. They were in a different league the year before the Metro League, and they had quite a few. They had a stacked team. They won the league, and so I think it was kind of for that team. It was just kind of known that you could have that opportunity to go play in the minors if you, if you had wanted to. So it was just kind of a good place to go and play. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't yeah. it wasn't unexpected for guys to not go either get college scholarships or go play in the minors. It wasn't uh, wasn't out of the ordinary. Yeah, Dominic Moore. Yeah. There's another one. Yeah, he was he was unbelievable. Obviously, he was obviously the best player that I had played with. But there there was lots of decent players kicking around back then. Oh yeah, well, so like you, like you said, you play you play a couple seasons in uh, Aurora, and you, like I said, the, well, then the second year you're 18, 49 games, 22 points, and 243 minutes of penalties. So you're you're really rolling. Um, when did uh, did you when did you find that you you kind of got comfortable with that role i would think probably that year yeah that second year i think i think it's amazing how much um you know kids develop at that age you know you, you i went away you got to think i played double d midget the year before i went away exactly yeah you know what i mean yeah. so like it's just it's unheard of it's absolutely unheard of for that to happen and then um you know then that summer worked relatively hard to get ready to go again and I had a tryout with Sarnia I went and played um, an exhibition game with Aurora and separated my shoulder went to the Sarnia's camp and just didn't heal up and ended up just going back to Aurora um, now, sir, like, that was just how, how it went. when you say Sarnia you're meaning the, the sting in the OHL? that's correct yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So I was I was in I was with them maybe three weeks or so and I just wasn't healing and then I ended up just going back to Aurora in which um, I had a decent year, and I was happy there. Yeah, well, I noticed one of your. I got to give him a shout out because he follows me on Twitter. Uh, uh, RC like, did you ever fight that guy? No, I never did. No, no. Oh, okay, yeah, well, he played down in the Southern Pro League for a while and stuff. Yeah, I just saw that he was in that league at that time. He played for Auburn, so yeah. Yeah, see, we wouldn't have played against them. That wouldn't have been in our division, I don't think. Oh, there you go. Okay. It's such, it was such a massive league. I don't know what it's. I'm sure it's even bigger now, but it was just such a big league. Yeah, well, that was the thing. Like I had, uh, when I was clicking on, it, I was just kind of looking at the rosters. I was like, yeah, how many damn teams are in this league? You know, yeah. it was like thirty some. It was like it's like its own NH, little NHL. Yeah, it was. It was a good league at the time. So absolutely, it was, it was good fun. Good fun. First experience getting away and seeing what it was all about. Well, like you said, it's a quality league, and I mean, you got good talent there. Um, when after eighteen, when you were done there, did uh, did you go to uh, uh, any OHL camps, or did you go right to uh, out to the Maritimes? I went right to the Maritimes from there. Okay, well, so so you go to Truro uh, with the with the Bearcats. How so? You go from uh, uh, Ontario out to the to the uh, Maritime Maritime Junior A League. How did that all happen, and what? The, how did you get out there? Well, I just had heard through the grapevine that you could get free schooling out there, and just things were a bit. I didn't get paid by any means. We got we got a little bit of spending money, and we got our education for free. So that was why I went out there. Really, um, league was totally different. It was eighteen, nineteen, and twenty year olds. Yeah. It was definitely a tougher. Yeah. It was definitely a tougher league. Um, it was a fantastic place to play. So I got to live like the college life. Went to college for a year, did that, and then played in that league. It was it, that league set me up to go. Um, to, to you know, to go south, really. I think I don't. I don't know. 
I don't know how it would have done with another year in the in the you know tier two in Ontario for toughness wise because this league was on a different level. Yeah, well, and like everybody, everybody always talks about the old the, the tough uh, the tough Maritimers and everything, and uh, oh. you know, uh, well, and a couple of the guys that I know you tangled with out there were uh, uh, Dave Walker, and then another guy that people pro- might listen and might have heard of, uh, David Ambler. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Walker was really tough. He was smaller in stature. He went on to play a long time in the coast, I think. Yeah, he, he was a good player, and he could he could throw really well. He was, you know, I w- I'll be honest with you, I was a bit intimidated of him at the time, just because I never really liked the smaller guys. But he was he was tough. He was tough as nails, that guy. And Ambler was in Annie Ganish, and they had a team full of just pure meat. <laughs> there was probably four guys, five guys, and I was on probably the softest team in the league. And it was just, just Andy Kanish was just a nightmare every time you had to play them. Yeah, I kind of was like Andy Kanish, and it looks like Summerside had like, you know, four guy, five guys deep, and Adam yeah. Set and Justin Grady, and Chris Ryan, and all those guys. Yeah, I don't remember, I just remember Andy Kanish and Halifax, really, those two teams I really, really remember. I don't remember Summerside very much. Um, yeah, I, I, those are the two teams I remember, the Halifax and Andy Kanish for being relatively tough. Yeah, well, like you said, they're in your division and stuff. So yeah, you're seeing yeah. them all the time. And uh, and like you said, though, yeah, yes, uh, Maritime, that solid league out there, that's for sure. Yeah, it was it was a good league, and it was full of older guys, and it was a different it was a different focus out there. Those guys all there, it wasn't talk of of playing professionally in that league. It was all about playing in the CIS back then. Yeah, you know, for St. Mary's or Dalhousie or for you know, um, Acadia, those types of places. That's what that's what all those guys kind of wanted to do. Yeah, well, so like, yeah, well, there you go. So you're like, you're 19, you play out there. Um, w- did you have any um, aspirate? Like, was it right then? Is like, I'm going to go pro, or was it? Uh, you know, were you were you on the fence, or did you want to go to university, or what? I, made, I what made your did, decision? I did go, go to university. To? I did. I did go to university for a couple months. I went to Dalhousie. Yeah. So that's why you've got the break in the stats from Port Huron and Dayton. So before that, I went to Dalhousie. Um, I wouldn't have said I was a, a prize recruit by any means, but I did get recruited to go there. Um, and then when I got there, I just realized I was not going to be playing. I was not good enough at that time. So I had just packed up and went home. And then I got a call from Dayton. I went to Dayton first. Yeah, well, and for the listeners out there wondering what we're talking about, CIS hockey is the equivalent of NCAA hockey down in the States. But with, C- correct, with yeah. CIS, a lot of the times the guys have played junior and now they're, they're 21, 22, 23, 24 playing, whereas the NCAA guys are like 18, 19, and 20. So CIS yeah. is just sort of older players that have already went through the junior system. And it That's is, right. And it's top-level hockey, without a doubt. It really is. I was 20, I was 20, you know, 19... Yeah, so I was 20 when I went there, and I, I just wasn't good enough. It didn't. Um, I probably could have hung around longer, but I, I saw that I wasn't going to play, so I was thinking, what am I doing here? I need to go. Um, so then that's when I thought I need to get home and get sorted and, and, and try getting down south. I think education-wise, it's worked out now, but back then I you know, probably shouldn't have, maybe should have just shut it down and went to school and got an education, but I wanted to play hockey. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. you know, it's a, you know, it's uh, if you get a lot of guys, you're right, you get at that crossroads, and it's like, you know, it's uh, you know, you're, I guess, the only, you're only young once, and you know, why not? And but at the same time, it's uh, I, you know, I, I guess nowadays it's probably a lot more. I think it would probably be a lot, uh, 
I think education is probably a, a pushed a lot harder now than it was back then. Yes. You know? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and it, it, it was just not, it just wasn't the right fit for me. And I, I've got no, um, I wasn't upset with the coach or anything like that. I just, I just, I could tell by the players I was around that I wasn't good enough, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're our own, you know, I mean, no one can judge it better than yourself, right? As, as terms of where you stack up and, you know, you're, yeah. you're being honest. But, uh, well, so you end up in Dayton in the East Coast Hockey League with the Bombers. Um, how did you end up down there? And uh, I noticed you only played the four games. Um, well, man, they had a tough team, too. Uh, yeah, how did, yeah, how did that did. all happen? I, 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 was, um, I was out on a night out with some friends, and I was so it was the middle of the – it was, let's say, November or something. I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I was out with some friends. I'd stayed at a mate's house, and I was driving home. This is before we had cell phones. Yep. And there was one kind of highway that leads to our house from London, the city. And I just saw flashing lights and my dad had pulled, my dad was driving towards the city and uh, he had pulled me over on the side of the road and he's like, we got to go. You're playing hockey tonight. And he had packed a bag of clothes for me. He had packed a bag of clothes for me and random hockey equipment thrown in the back of his, uh, his vehicle. And we drove eight hours in the, it was a, it was snowing like crazy. He drove through two or three blizzards to get me to Dayton to play against Toledo, and that's how that started. So it was, it was through Brad Selwood, my coach in Aurora, and somebody he knew had hooked, knew someone that knew the coach, and I was just the next guy on the list to get called when they needed players. And we drove and we got there, and I missed the first period, and I did like this random physical during the intermission and played the second and third period, and then went away on a two-week road trip. And then when I come back, I was released from there and went to Port Huron. So that's how that all happened. Oh, yes. The, uh, oh, yeah. the, the, the physical will make sure he's breathing and has a heart. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, I don't know if it was a, a woman or a man, but I remember them like grabbing my arms and, you all right? Okay, yeah, get dressed. Yeah. And they said, do you want to play? You're here late, but do you want to play? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to play. And then went out and played. I was so young then. And, not, and you, know, you hear guys on these types of podcasts, you don't even know what's going on when you're that young. Yeah, well, you look like, back and just think, oh my god. Well, and it's like no real time to even set up, right? You had no camp or to even acclimate no. yourself. It's just, hey, we got to go an eight-hour car ride, and here you are in Toledo. Let's roll. Yeah. you know. Well, I remember, I, I, I remember after the game, the coach said, "Are you okay to come on the road trip?" And I, was, I just looked at my dad and I said, "Yeah, yeah, fine." So I was twenty years old, and uh, I said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, let's go." And I, I just remember them handing out the per diem on the bus before and I got we were gone for two weeks I think I got 300 bucks or something you know it wasn't a it wasn't a mega amount of money looking back at it but I remember getting the money and thinking what, what's this I had no idea what it was for oh, it was. obviously that's for your dinner money the whole way through right and like I didn't go out and blow it or anything but I just I looked at the guy beside me like what what's this thing that's your per diem you know you get 30 bucks a day or 35 bucks a day or whatever it was at that time but I just handed you a wad of cash and I was just like oh this is weird. <laughs> but I had no idea anything about this stuff, yeah. eh? Yeah. 300 bucks. I've made it now. I'm rich. Yeah. Well, well like you said, I made, you have Blaine McCauley, Derek Ernst, Jeff Mitchell on that team. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and I mean, you're, like you said, your first year pro, 20 years old. I mean, really, I mean, you know, no slight to you, but I mean, they had toughness on that team already. It was kind of like you were certainly going to be the odd man out, obviously. Yeah, I don't even think I was even no like I don't even I think I knew like I don't think I I wasn't I wasn't tough at that age 
to to be to be fighting the big boys in that like that Derek Ernest. Not, I haven't heard his name for years. He was tough. Yes, he was. Like he was super tough. And like I was a kid. Like I hadn't never been in the gym before. Really. Like I didn't. Really, I was a typical junior A kid. I had no idea. I'm just looking down the stats now. Yeah, like yeah, there were some tough guys there. Yeah, Derek Ernest was tough. But I remember like I remember I remember Brad Holzinger and Bill McCauley. Brandon Brooks, he played over here for a few years after. Like, there were some good players on that team as well. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a good experience, you know, I was there, played a game and then went on a road trip, played a, played a few other games with a healthy scratch, a few of the games, and I think I might have played one when I come back from the road trip and then I then I went home. But it's it's the same thing as when I was at university. I you know, that's you know, I I wasn't ready for that league at that time. There's no chance. Well, well, so you go down to uh, now you go down to the United. Did they help you get down to Port Huron, or is that like frantic phone calls? I got released. Where can I go? Or did no, some- that's that's my that's my local. That was my local team at the time. I was only about forty five minutes to fifty minutes from there. Oh, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just went. I think I think my dad and I just jumped in the car and went and watched a game and just spoke to the coach after and said, you know, if you need anybody, I'm here type of thing. And then I ended up getting a call um, right after that. And that was a dip, that was a whole different experience. <laughs> well, it, well, like I said, well, let, let's get into it. Like you said, you played uh, you, uh, what did you thirteen games with them? And uh, but I mean, some characters on that team. I mean, you know, Stefan Medor and uh, Curtis Saylor yep. and uh, Kevin uh, Bertram and uh, well, yeah. How how was your well? Let's hear. How was your your thirteen games of Port Huron? Yeah, well, it was it was okay. I commuted back and forth for the most part, and I commuted with two guys named Jason Glover and Mike Bondy, and they were both kind of wily veterans at the time. And they both lived they both lived in one lived in Strathroy, Ontario, and the other one lived in London. So I'd meet them every morning and go to the rink with them, go over the border, go to practice, and then come home. Uh, that was mostly how it went. But there was David, David Alexander Beauregard was on that team. Well, Brent, Brent. He, he, yeah, I didn't play with him though. I didn't play. They obviously. I'm guessing they had a thousand players in and out of the lineup that year. I would have to think. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah quite you a, can get carpal tunnel just scrolling the roster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I remember like I I remember like Sailor was good. He was tough. Yep. He was he was really tough and he was a decent player. Um, but I remember mostly like Mike Bondy and Glover from and they're guys that I'll see at home once in a while. Every couple of years when I'm home, I'll see them. Um, not as not as like close friends or anything, but I'll see them somewhere and say hello type of thing. Um, Paul Luck was a good player. That Ryan Paul Luck was, was a good player as well. And it was just it was just another good experience. You know, you're playing. Uh, you know, like I that's a league that I followed because London had a team previously, the London Wildcats. Yep. yep. So I knew that league, and it was always it, it sounds ridiculous, but that was a that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to play in the minors. That was I knew these teams. I knew the players. You know, even back then, before the internet, you know, I knew these teams, so it was, it was quite cool to play, to play there and well, be amongst it. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? This is kind of really before social media and the internet, really. And I mean, and you know, a small town, and I mean, yeah, the the local minor league team that was like that was the big deal. You know, of course it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and that's like even in junior A, like in, in well, in all junior A, but from my experience, like in Saskatchewan here, I mean, you have small towns like Melville and Yorkton and Weyburn as the local junior A teams. Well, to the kids in that town, like those guys are rock stars. Like that's yeah, that's course. their NHL, right? Is like the junior A hockey team. Yeah, yeah, and that's no different. It was just, it was just a good. It was just cool, like with the characters that were in the. It's cool looking back on it and thinking, like you don't see 
characters like Brent Gretzky playing around anymore or, you know, you know Curtis Sailors. You don't see these guys anymore. Wow. See, they were, you know, a lot more individual and guys played and guys were like me that played and they played for years. They didn't just play for a year or two years and, and pack it up. They, they, there was proper lifers back then. Oh, absolutely. And the, speaking of characters in that league, we got to get into it here. So, I mean, I'm going to hit you with some names that people out there listening, they'll know. I mean, you got Sean Legault, Kerry Toporowski, Bruce Watson, Trevor Sen, Gary Goulash, uh, Ivanez, Barhog. I mean, we're talking, like, that's that's a criminal element right there. That's some bad dudes. Yeah, yeah, and I was just a skinny kid that had no idea what was going on. It was, uh, yeah, it was, um, I, I... I fought. I want to say I fought Varhug and Ivanis that year. Yes, you I don't did. know. I don't. I don't know who. Who? Na- give me some of the other names from that. Just support here on year. Uh, well, was, it, was there how many fights were there? Well, I don't know about fights. About I. I know you fought those two guys for sure. Um, yeah. I was just throwing like with the the different guys in the league, like Demonsky and Watson and those guys. I mean, was was May was Mayrand in that league that year? Yes, he was. He was in. Uh, he was Muskegon. in Muskegon. Yes. Yeah. So, so I had, I had, my memory is not always great, but I'm pretty sure I'm close on this story. They had a captain on that Muskegon team that I had punched. I suckered. I'm pretty sure. Pardon me. Bouchard. No, it wasn't Bouchard. I want to say it was Scott Feesby. Yes, it was. Okay. Is that a name? Yeah. I'm pretty sure I suckered him. And I'm pretty sure they brought me Rand in to sort me out after. So I, th- I got suspended, and then I'm pretty sure I fought him after my suspension was over. I think that's a correct story. I think that's a true story. Well, now you got me thinking. See, I'm going to have to go back through my... I have all of Dean's fights from Muskegon. I'll, I'll have to find Yeah, those. you'll have to message me after to make sure I've got that story right. And then I fought Varhug in port here, and I remember that, because he used to have the big leather straps... And I remember a guy that I played with in, in Dayton said, if you ever fight a guy with the leather straps, you got to grab a hold of it and pull on them and get their head turned sideways. And I remember fighting Varhog and trying to do that exact same thing. Did so it, I do remember those, those fights. <laughs> yeah, I think it did. I, I think it did. But he was he was a big mountain of a man, I'll tell you that. Oh, I was going to say, that's a long way up, man. Well, how tall are you, really, le- legitimately? Six, three and a half. Well, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I think, what's he, what, six, seven, I think. Yeah, he was big, he was big. I don't, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't remember. I remember fighting Ivanis, and I remember fighting Varhug, and I do remember fighting someone from Muskegon, I think it was Mayran, but I can't really remember any other fights from there. Yeah, well, like you said, 13 games, right? But, uh, oh, yeah. you had 69 minutes, so, yeah. But at that point, like, are you, um, like you said, you're skinny, you're 20 years old, and, you know, you're you're kind of right into the fire, and like I said, these guys are like legit dudes that you're fighting. You're not fighting seventeen year olds anymore, so Ooh, it's no. like, uh, are you like, is your confidence there, or are you sort of like, I don't know if I can do this, or how are you feeling no, at I, this point? No, I think I was just young and dumb, aren't you? Just go out and yeah. just do it, just do it to stick, stick around, and um, I was never afraid. So you know, I'm not one of these crazy guys that says they love it, but I enjoyed it, and it was. Um, you know, I was playing hockey, so what? You know, what more can you ask for, really? Well, there you go. Well, so the the fall, you so you turned twenty one, and uh, the uh, following year you head down, and this is kind of like your first full season, correct? In San Angelo in the Central. That's hockey. right. Yeah. Well, how'd yeah. you end up down there? 
Um, I was just recruited by the coach. So uh, it was Eddie Johnstone. Yep. So he just called me, and I, I used to send out um, – I used to send out like stats. My dad, I used to work out of the house and he used to have a fax machine. So I used to just send, send, um, I used to just send little resumes out. So that's how I used to get my jobs. No, no need for an agent. Well, I was going to so say, I, just, I was going to say, I think your dad was doing a hell of a job. He was driving, he was sending out stuff. I think he's a, I'm, no, it was me. I was always the one sending it. I knew how to use a fax machine. Oh, there you no, go. no, it was me doing it. It was dad, dad did the driving and I did the faxing. Well, there you and go. I did all the the phone calls and all that sort of stuff. No, no, I don't have one of those dads that was getting me jobs. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I was getting my own jobs. Well, there you go. So you head down. So, uh, well, what was first of all? Just you head down there and like San Angelo. We're talking. You know, you're not 45 minutes from the house anymore. So, <laughs> oh, I remember I was so excited to get down there. They, I remember it took me two. Day, I drove there in two days, and it was like 35, 30. I want to say 30 hours or something it takes to drive there. I did it in two days. I was just so excited to get there. I think I stopped in a hotel like in Oklahoma somewhere. And I was just so dead excited to get there. And I got there, and I think I was one of the first guys there. I don't even know if the ice was even in yet. <laughs> well, that's the one thing. Yeah, you won't, need the, uh, you won't need to plug the car in and need the scraper that winter. <laughs> no chance. It was, it was awesome down there. You, you just think back to these times, and it was uh, – it was good fun down there. It was warm there all the time, and the rink was an old rodeo arena, and a big we had a big trailer out the back that was a locker room. Uh, tremendous! How were the fans down there? They must have loved. Yeah, you. it was good. I think. Yeah, I think. I don't, yeah, it was good, but I don't think. I think obviously in the I didn't play in the Western Pro League, but it was a, it was a league that I looked. You know, I always looked at and always knew about it, and I knew that they used to get good good crowds. Um, they weren't getting good crowds. San Angelo weren't getting good crowds by then. It was two or three thousand a game, and and it was all. I don't know how many years after they had a team for maybe one or two. Yeah, um, maybe they had a team for after that. I could be wrong, but they, you know it was dwindling. Obviously, like you had heard stories from guys in the locker room that had played there for a lot of years of what it had used to have been like, and that you know in the heyday of the Western Pro League, and it wasn't quite like that. But it was still a good experience. It was I was roomed with a, a guy named Corey Davidson. Yeah, well, yeah. So we well, lived, to, you know, we lived together for the year. He played in Vernon. He was a hell of a hockey player. Yep. He was a and he he did not care about who you were or anything. He he was going 100 miles an hour at all times. He was a hell of a hockey player, and we roomed together. And it was good fun. We had a blast. Well, yeah. So you had him and a couple other characters in that team. I got to ask you about. Uh, and shout out to him because I know he'll be listening. As uh, Brent Curry and uh, Roger Maxwell and Brian Rasmussen was there for a little while. Do you? Uh, yeah, he was there. Yeah, Brian was there for a bit, and Curry. Yeah, Brent was there. He was tough as nails as well. Yep. He was, and he was, he was steady, and he was, he was awesome in the locker room. He was, uh, he was, a, he was a glue guy, but he, he could play. He was a solid defenseman. He was tough as well, real tough. And uh, Roger Maxwell was the first kind of experience that I had playing with a. Uh, I'm just hopefully I'm not doing a disservice to anybody else I'd previously played with, but he was the toughest guy I'd played with at that point. You know, like he was, he was, he came down there with a, a big reputation. He was as tough as nails, and he was an awesome guy. Yeah, yeah, no, for yeah. sure. And uh, and like you said, that's a you guys had a tough team, man. Like holy, yeah, yeah. No, it was a tough league, though. It was, well, yeah, and I think Roger left, or I don't know if they released Roger or what had happened, but he, I can't remember thinking back, but. He, he, you know, he wasn't there the whole year. So kind of after he went, it was kind of me next in line, and that was uh, that was tough going for a bit at that age. 
especially with one of those teams that isn't making the playoffs, you know. Yeah. Those last few weeks of the season are a tough go. Well, the other guy I want to ask you about, and I mean, I know, and he was around, like, forever and uh, put up massive amount of points was uh, Robin Bouchard. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he played most of the season there. I think that was just one of the years where him and Muskegon couldn't come to terms. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm almost certain he went back to Muskegon. So he moved down. He was so funny in the locker room. Like, I had previously played against him and thought he was just the most horrible thing to play against. Yeah. Horrible guy to play against. But when you get on the locker, you know, he used to do, like, a, a pretend strip tease in the locker room with, you know, the garter belt and the socks. Yep. And he used to do, like, a pretend strip tease, you know, before a game. And he just used to crack us up. Like, he was he was funny. And he, 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 was, a, he was a good leader. And he could score. Yep. His well, sticks were like something I had never seen before. They were like a, like a wedge. I took a couple of his blades home that summer, and you just couldn't do anything with them. They they were like a I don't know, I don't know like a ninety degree angle blade. They were just ridiculous. Little little different from the old heel curve, eh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Off the glass and out. Yeah, exactly. V out, V in. You know, <laughs> <laughs> get off. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, a few of the characters that uh, that you met, you rumbled with down there. Um, that I know, uh, I, I took a few names that people will know. Um, well, one we were talking earlier before we got going was Ken Fells. Yeah. Yeah, he was tough. He played in Lubbock, I want to say. Yeah. I think. I think he was in Lubbock. But he was another guy, not very big. He was like kind of like Brent Curry, really. Real tough. I don't think he was overly big from my memory. No. But tough guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah tough guy. Ken Richardson and... Yeah, Ken Richardson. I got a good story, little story about him. We play. I played with a guy named Tyler Queering in San Angelo, and I remember sitting beside him in the room and, and asking him about Richardson because I'm pretty sure he played for San Antonio Queering before, and, or him and Richardson played together somewhere. And he was like, you know, he just, you know, he's older now, and he's got guys like you coming at him. You know, you're going to be that old guy someday. I remember him saying, and I remember Richardson and I had a couple fights. He was, he was, he was mean. Yeah. He, he was. Yeah. He, he didn't take any. Uh, he didn't take any baloney from anyone. He was a tough guy. He had big. Remember that he had big sleeve tattoos, and he was. He was a tough character. Uh, I ran. Uh, I ran into him a couple times. I think I'm pretty sure I fought him in San Antonio, and I'm pretty sure I fought him in Corpus as well. Yeah, well, he, he's around, right? He's a, a Western guy, but uh, yeah. Well, another name, and he's actually uh, fun fact. He's actually pro hockey's all time penalty minute leader. Um, was Jason Clark. I don't think I played against him, you know. I, th- I think he might have been somewhere like Fort Worth at that time, maybe, but I don't think I, I – I didn't fight him. I might have played against him, but I didn't fight him. Well, I'm going to yell at Paul because he's got you down as fighting him. So Does he? Yeah. We don't need to yell at him. It's just my memory, maybe. <laughs> ask, well, we'll have to ask Paul if he's got footage of that one to prove us wrong. There, there you go. Well, I was uh, – did you ever fight uh, Screwy St. Louis? Todd Screwy St. Louis? Yeah, I know I know him. I know, I know him, and I remember him from Amarillo. I don't... This is when we need drop your gloves, isn't it? It is, yeah. I'll have to give Paul hell for this as well. He should have been screenshotting that website. Um, I don't remember if I fought him or not. They had Rattray there. And, and they had him there. I can't remember if I fought him. Oh, no, they had another guy there as well, Anderson. It was a defenseman named Anderson that was tough in Amarillo. Do you remember that name? Well, I remember Ryan Anderson in Austin. So no, he, this was another guy. Oh. 
Yeah, this was another guy. They had a tough defenseman that was there. I think his name was Anderson. No, I don't don't remember fighting St. Louis either. Sorry for the uh, the memory block, but that was a thousand years ago. Well, yeah, exactly. But I was just kind of looking at uh, San Antonio. There's a there's a character if you remember uh, Jonathan Du Bois. Yeah, yeah. He was a, he was a, he was a he was a skill player though. Yeah, he wasn't a tough guy, but he was he used to rack up some numbers. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's kind of like a like kind of Avery ish. Yeah, yeah, he was little, and they had another guy there in San Antonio as well. And one of the one of the videos Paul has, one of the ones on YouTube. There's uh, one of me cross checking him. He's a centerman, and I think that's when I fought Richardson. Um, can't remember his name now off the top of my head, but he had played over in the UK for a year here in Basingstoke. I'll think of it at some point. Anderson, were you thinking of Dallas Anderson? No, I wasn't. Well, I was. Well, there's well, there you go. He, uh, he led the Let's league. Let's skip over that bit. Yeah, he led penalty minutes that year. Dallas Anderson in Tulsa, he had 378. So, yeah, I remember him. He was he was a big big guy as well. There's a I'm name sure. that, yeah. the name that came up that I'm supposed to ask you about, John Hewitt. Oh, yeah. So he was a, he was um, he had played in El Paso right around that time. But I went to camp with him in Flint. Yeah, and uh, I remember we were having like chicken wings and beers the night before. And everything was like, I thought we were just going to be buddies. And this was my first time going into a camp thinking I'm going into camp with an absolute psychopath. Because we got on the ice the next day for just a fun skate. Like at lunchtime, we're just going to, everyone's going to go out and have a skate. And he wanted to fight then. Like it was just, there was no coaches, there's nothing. He wanted to actually have a fight. And then the next day camp started, we fought. Long story short, I could go on about this for half an hour, but long story short, we fought the first three shifts of this first training camp and it was just like fight after fight after fight. And I think we went out the fourth shift and I was like, man, that's enough. And anyways, the coaches just had to say that's enough boys. And I, yeah, he was like an absolute lunatic, an absolute lunatic, tough, tough as nails. He went on to play in the Quebec league for a lot of years, but he was fighting for a spot. He was fighting for a spot and he knew what he needed to do. So, you know, respect to him, but I, I'm not that, I was never that type of fighter. Like, you know, I, I couldn't have played in the Quebec League. You know, I didn't, I, I just, it was, you know, I respected guys that went there and I followed that league and I know a lot of guys that played in it, but it just wasn't my type of fight and I had to fight as part of the game, if that made sense. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. you you had to have been asked every year to go to that league, I'm sure. Yeah, I was. I, there was a few dodgy phone calls. I remember yeah. my mom getting, my mom writing down messages from guys that I didn't have any business calling, that's for sure. But yeah, there was two summers in a row where they put, offers out that were probably I don't know three or four times the amount of money that I was making just down in the central league which wasn't very much at that time but it was still a good you know and it was cash and it was, you know housing and a car and whatever else you needed oh yeah it was definitely yeah the money was legit back then yeah they were throwing I would, around I, I, would, sure. I, I would I would have got killed if I went down there back then <laughs> well speaking I just, of that, I just don't have, I didn't have the mentality for I don't think like I and I like doing it don't get me wrong but I wasn't that I wasn't tough like that like I wasn't I was you know like I was 6'3 220 215 or whatever I wasn't 6'3 245 and jacked and in the gym every day yeah well and it's it's with that Lee it's it's the mindset right I mean it's to get into yeah. that headspace and uh yeah it's like you know you got you're fighting twice and never mind the little black thing that's rolling around and you know yeah and, I, and that wasn't what I was about like and, it, and like I can't I can't emphasize enough I'm not 
disrespecting it because I followed oh. the league and like I said, I, I get it. I get why guys go there. But and you hear about those guys, you know, I listen to these podcasts and they're you know, then we went out for beers together after and we're still mates and I'm just thinking, that was never me when I played. I could never go for a beer with a guy that I had knew that I had to fight. Okay, well, this actually, this that's an interesting since we brought it up. Um, yeah, like I, I noticed, like I said, I was watching your fights last night and today, and uh, I mean, you were never a big uh, bro hug and bum tap guy, um, you know. But yeah, were you big into? Well, you just said you weren't. Obviously, was did you sort of carry on that? This is my team. That's your team, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I think for me mentally, I had to do that. You know, yeah. you, you see these fighters, and they can, they can, you know, like, like, is it, is it Morasti and you know Yablonski or whatever his name is, and they're yeah. they're best friends, and they just go toe to toe to toe to toe. And I, like, I just never had that experience. So I remember one time in junior with a Brad Selwood was my coach. I remember I had a fight with a guy, and it was a good fight. And at the end, he, you know, I gave him a tap or a high five or I don't know what it was. I can't remember. But when I got back to the bench, he screamed at me. You know, you can't be doing that. And I was never, from that day on, I never, ever gave a guy a good job or, or it just wasn't, just not, that's just not the type of fighter I am. It was, it was, it was business and I'm mean and I need to keep my, my mental, my mental state mean or I'm not going to be good at this. Yeah. Well, yeah, exa- exactly. Um, well, you brought it up. So at 0203, you're in Flint, you're trying out and you're fighting Hewitt every two minutes. Um, but you end up uh, 18 games, 150 minutes and, was uh, there's a few. Was Robbie Nichols the coach there, or was Tomlinson the coach when you were? There? It was Tomlinson. I really liked Tomlinson. You know, I didn't have a. I left there. You know, after those once I looked at the, I wasn't playing and I was fighting all the time, and I knew I was good enough to play in that league in a third line spot. Like that's that. There was no doubt about it. I was good enough to play in that league, and I, I remember looking at the stats page. I played. 10 games and I had zero shots on goal and a hundred and something penalty minutes. And I remember just thinking, this is not for me. And that league was tough back then. Yeah. Wow. You know, like we, you know, you've heard of guys talk, like I wasn't anywhere near my toughest yet. I was 21 or turning 22. I wasn't still a skinny kid and growing into my body. And, you know, like that was a tough league back then. And I took some lumps. Well, I mean, you, you know, you go back and you look at who you're fighting. I mean, you know, you have Steve McIntyre and, uh, you know, and, well, and, and Toporowski. Kerry, Kerry Toporowski. I heard you have an interesting Toporowski story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've told it before, but I, I almost died on the ice thanks to him. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. It was just, uh, we're playing in Quad City, and I had a couple run-ins with him. I think I might have even fought him when I was in Port Huron or fought him earlier in the year. I don't know, but I can't really remember, but I remember dumping the puck in. And he didn't even turn around to chase the puck. He just speared me, and then the gloves were off. And there was another time there was, uh, I think I had a Flint Generals record for penalty minutes in a game. I think it was 45 or 50 minutes or something because we had a big brawl, five-on-five brawl, and I'd fought him. And then he had me, he, he was dirty. He, he was a dirty fighter. Yep. Like I don't, yep. they, that doesn't get mentioned enough, I don't think. Like, he was he was mean, and and he he for me he was a dirty he was a dirty fighter he would scrape your face I remember being in the shower after fighting him with scrape marks all over my face but he had me choked out on the ice one the, the one night in Flint we had fought and fallen to the ice and he was choking me and I had to stick my fingers in his eyes to get to get him off me because like I thought he was going to choke me out but he was like he was crazy like he was crazy like he had crazy eyes and he was, he was a good hockey player as well. Like he was a steady defenseman and played and was a big part of those quad city teams. Like he's probably a hero there. 
Oh yeah, what well, it's such a uh, such a bizarre contrast, right? Because it's like, and everybody who knows him, like off the ice. Well, the guy's like an accountant now, you know, with glasses. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I follow him on Twitter. And, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, but on the ice, the guy was just like a had the serial killer vibe going. I don't know how old he must have been, like thirty five years old at that time, and you know, and he was like, he he was mean. He was he didn't he didn't give two shits about about knocking you out knocking you out or, or hurting you. But that's, you know, that's how it was back then. He wasn't the only guy like that back then. Oh, no. There was tough boys back then. No, absolutely. Well, like you said, McIntyre, Topper, uh, Blue Benfeld, Alex Johnstone. Yeah, those are Adirondack guys you just mentioned. I remember them, yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. And it was, Ivanis, Ivanis was in Rockford, I think. I fought him a couple times. Mel Nachuk. Yeah, yeah that's He was so tough. I don't understand how... He played in that league and was never in the American League. And he was honest. Like, he was an honest fighter, and he was tough. And I don't think he wore shoulder pads. Like, he was a proper big leather straps. Like, he was – I fought him twice in Missouri, and he dropped me both times. And then after the game, he'd come over and shook my hand and said, you know, good work, kid. Like, he was as honest as they came. I remember fighting him and just, like – just being overpowered and overmatched. So he was he was um he was riding riding the exercise bike out front of our locker room with no shirt on when we arrived. <laughs> and all the boys were like, "Holy Christ." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, that's going to be me obviously tonight." Yeah, well, yeah, he uh well, then the funny thing is I was I, I was trying to get him to come on the podcast and uh I was actually it was Dean Mayrad kind of was because uh, he knows Marty and I'm like, hey, can you talk to him for me? And so he talked to Marty and Marty goes, oh, that was such a long time ago. I don't think I have any stories for him. I'm like, oh, what he was, are you talking yeah. about? I'm like, yeah, he's it's it's when you get speaking on these like this podcast, you start the memories come back. You don't think about them day to day, but they do they do unearth themselves really when you get chatting about it and you start thinking about the guys and the people you played with and. You know, I always see myself as my career split into two. That those five years in the states and my junior years, and then over here. So it's not often I talk about the stuff from back home. So, but he would have lots of stories. He was he was like a prototypical Western Professional Hockey League Central League tough guy. Like he was tough as nails. Yeah, Marty, just, yeah. if you're listening, you got to come on, man. I will get the yeah. stories out of you. It'll be fun. Oh, they'll, they'll they'll spill out when you get talking. You start you start mentioning names and thinking about it. He'll have lots of good stories because he was I you know. Well, there's a lot of people that think he was one of the toughest at the time playing. Yeah, because he, he was tough. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think he's a, a successful bar owner at Edmonton now. I know he ran for count. Uh, he ran for like city council or something like that because I saw the the signs, the little uh, you know the signs that you put in your yard, and it just said "Vote Meat Grinder." <laughs> <laughs> I said, two I, gloves. I said, I didn't know at the time. I saw it later on his Facebook or something. I had a friend that lives in Edmonton. I'm like, oh, I would have killed for one of those campaign signs. That would have been awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he he was in Missouri at the time. I remember that. I remember him playing in Missouri. Yeah. It, um, yeah, well, spe- and it was always kind of surprised me. Talking about a guy actually tailor-made for the Quebec League. I mean, you know, the LNAH. I know they tried to get him a few times because, I mean, well, he's just so tough, but he's got that. Um, what's the word? He's like a showman. Like he, yeah, yeah, he he just, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know him personally, but like I, I'm pretty sure when I played against him, he played. Yeah, I'm, pre- I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he played. He, you know, he wasn't the guy that sat on the end of the bench just itching to fight. I'm, I'm pretty sure he was a decent player. I would have to look back and have a. I don't, I don't think he was one of those guys that just sat on the bench and went out and did it twice a game. 
So maybe, you know, maybe he didn't want to have that in his mindset either. Yeah. Well, I can't speak for him. Well, here on Flint, you played with a couple of characters. Well, one of the guys that I have to ask you about, because I've had people on the show and they've, they put the mouth on him, and then other people say he's okay. But uh, it was Jimmy Duhart? Yeah, Jimmy was. Uh, J- I had no problem with Jimmy. J- Jim was the one who I organized my contract through, so he was the one who kind of brought me on board. I had no issues with Jimmy. No, no, nothing really bad to say about him. We we're a bad. It was a bad team. It was a bit of a. You know, they had some previous good teams there. Obviously, when Donnie Parsons and those guys were there when they won, um, we weren't a very good team. I wouldn't say. And I was it's still, it was, you know, still my first couple of years. I'm still naive to know what exactly was going on. You know what I mean? So I, yeah. I didn't really have any issues with Jim Duhart at all. No, he was no no issues. He was a good hockey player. He had, cool. he had a massive <laughs> hockey stick. Wasn't a great skater. I was a worse skater, obviously, at that time. But he wasn't a great skater, but he could score goals. His stick was above his head. He had the longest stick I'd ever seen. But he was just another classic minor league guy, like a guy that played for a lot of years. Uh, but I don't have anything – I I – I don't really have anything bad to say about him. No. Well, there you go. A couple other teammates is you have uh, Jason Disher and Corey, Corey Laniak. Yeah, Laniak was tough. He yeah. was um, a he was a patient fighter, smart fighter. I'm pretty sure he could switch and, and throw both hands. I think he was. I remember him kind of. You know, he was a smart fighter. He could sit back, from what I remember. And Disher Disher was quite a bit older at that age, at that time. I, I don't think I remember seeing him fight at all but he was a good teammate but he was like a guy that had played a lot of years he played in thunder bay i'm pretty sure with like bruce ramsey and 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 uh mel and those types of guys like he was a he was a big tough stay-at-home defenseman and a really super teammate yeah no yeah he wasn't yeah he wasn't he was in uh, thunder bay with the uh with those guys um well, like a couple of the characters in that league i mean i've had him on as a previous guest um was winger brad wingfeld yeah, he was he was in Elmira at that time, but I I don't know if did he play any did, was he in Syracuse at all during that year or I, can't, I I don't remember playing against Wingfield, but I do remember playing against Wingfield in Corpus. He was in Corpus for one of the years I remember, but I did, I never fought Brad Wingfield, but he was a good hockey player though as well. He was another guy that played. Yeah, well, that was the year in Elmira. Yeah, he had 29 goals and 576 minutes of penalties. Yeah, like he was a good player. Like I rem- I remember him. I remember him as a good player. Yeah, I didn't fight him. I don't think I've, I don't, you know what? I only played, how many games did I play that year for them? What did you say? I didn't play a lot of games in Flint. I don't even know if I made uh, it to Elmira or not. 18. 18. I don't even remember, 18. I don't remember fighting anybody from Elmira that year. Well, it's funny you mentioned Adirondack. I'm just looking at their roster. Trevor Sen, Alex Johnstone, Frank Littlejohn, and Jason Bone. Yeah, Jason Bone. He I didn't play against him there, but I was in camp in Laredo with him one year. But I fought John Stone one game and Trevor Sen. Um, I think their coach had said we're not fighting that Cornish kid tonight because they didn't want to fight. And then I finally got a fight out of that John Stone. But that Trevor Sen was the meanest looking sob that you ever saw. He had the Joe Fawn, no shoulder pads. <laughs> And just not someone I wanted to fight when he was about five foot eight or five foot nine. It wasn't my <laughs> I'd give me a guy six foot eight, but I don't want to fight a guy like that that's just gonna swing me around and knock my head off. Well, yeah, he's like one of those guys who's like five eight up and five eight wide. Oh, he was yeah, and he was a, he, he he played a long time. Yeah. Everyone's seen his fights, like he was tough. There's no no question about it. 
Um, I think I might have only played that. At, I think I played that in Adirondack once, and I got kicked out of that game for when I did fight that Alex Johnstone guy. I remember getting kicked out of that game. So I had two fights with uh, Melnichuk, a couple fights with Ivanis, him, and then and Toporowski. So you know that's that's where the penalty minutes went. Yeah, well, like I said, it, it was only an eighteen games. So I mean, yeah, you were uh, you were busy. Um, at that point, I mean, you had played a couple seasons now. How were uh, how were your hands doing and everything? Were you still were you pretty good or? Yeah, I was pretty good. My my left hand was always swollen. It was you don't you don't think about it till you're done playing though. Like you think about the days and all the guys that have been on the podcast will be able to tell you the same thing is is you, is trying to tighten your skates when there's no you know no skin on your knuckles and that sort of stuff. But I was always pretty pretty healthy then. Yeah, I was always pretty fine. The odd cut and bruise and that sort of thing. Well, from the same season there in Flint, you played 18 games, and then um, and then you you head off to Laredo in the Central Hockey League and finish the season there. Uh, like, what did they? What made you leave, and how'd you end up in Laredo? Well, I, I wasn't playing there, so I needed to go, and I was just I was fighting all the time, and it was not uh, it wasn't wasn't a pretty sight. I didn't feel like part of the team there really either. Young guy doing that job, it wasn't. Uh, and I like the coach, I like Kirk Tomlinson, but I just didn't play. Uh, enough at all it'd be a few shifts a game so um the trainer that was in laredo was my trainer from san angelo so he actually got in touch with me i'm wondering how all this stuff happened back then when you didn't have facebook and all that but yeah so he he got in touch with me somehow i can't remember how that happened but i ended up going to laredo and it was funny because when i was driving i went in and told uh, kirk tomlinson i was going to go back to school or whatever you used to have to if you wanted to switch leagues you always had to come up with a story that you're just going to quit so they wouldn't wave you or whatever. And then I remember driving to Laredo, and I remember um, get, I got picked up by Missouri. So when I got to Texas, I went from Flint straight to Texas, and I got to Laredo. And I remember being in the coach's office, Terry Ruskowski, and he's like, you've just been picked up by Missouri. And I was like, oh, for crying out loud, just tell them I'm not coming or whatever. So then they had picked me up, and then I obviously didn't report because I was already on my way to Texas or already there. But, yeah, so that's how I ended up in Laredo, and that was a good experience. I played lots. The coach was awesome. Yeah, he Unbelievable. Yeah. Roscoe. Yeah, that guy's a legend. Just this that he never swore. So a lot of guys will talk about it, but he used to. Um, one thing that sticks out, he never swore. So he would say things like, and, and anybody that listens to this, it's played for him. Will know exactly what I'm talking about because when when I went to Laredo, they had a beautiful eight thousand seat arena. The boys were getting taken care of. You know, lovely places to live. Everything was fine, and they had brand new Eastern synergies. And nobody had synergies back then, but we all had team. Everybody had Easton synergies, and they were the first gray ones. And I remember they used to just be blowing up all over the ice, right? Guys were breaking them left, right, and center. And he never swore, so he'd come in and say those sucking, those sucking synergies, because he would never, he never ever say a swear word, and he would just say fiddle flipping, fiddle flipping, <laughs> son of a biscuit eater, and things like that, because he was just so, so, just to see them all fired up, and that's how he would swear would just. You know, you'd just be looking around at your teammates thinking, what the hell is going on? But we were playing one night in Fort Worth, and we were tying or losing by a goal. And he come in and blasted us, and he used every swear word that he knew properly. he come in with every F word, and, you know, he just come in, and he was spitting mad at us. And he didn't – I'd never heard him – you know, I'd never hear him swear – and he come in and blasted us one night, and the boys when he left the room, the boys were just just mouths were just hitting the floor. 
Yeah, Terry Stewart. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't want to piss Terry off because he was he was a firecracker. And he was he played me. I played loads. I think we went to the semifinals against Austin that year. Yeah. Uh, they won it the next two years. Um, you know, I was gutted. I was gutted when I left there to go to Memphis because I, you know, that was the year they had won it and they had guys sent down from Florida and Florida to San Antonio and San Antonio to there. And then I was just the odd man out when I went back, but I was gutted when I left there because that was, uh, that was a cool place to play. Sold out every single night. And that was, I would say that's when, you know, after the Port Huron and Dayton and Flint, that sort of stuff, when I got to, you know, San Angelo was a good solid first year for some, you know, to, to lay the groundwork. But it was when I got to Laredo was when I actually played and, and enjoyed the hockey. Yeah, well, and like you said, they're kind of a new team. And I remember, um, well, we had talked about him before we got going, but a teammate of yours that, that I got to know before he went down there, uh, Dave Meissen, I remember talking to him and he was saying how much he enjoyed it. And, uh, and I mean, you have Meissen down there, Gustopolis again from Aurora, uh, yeah. Dion Hyman, Matt Van Horluck. Yeah, that was yeah. Matty Van Horlick was another guy. He was tough as nails as well, and he was a decent player. I think he played forward or defense. Good team guy, um, just steady. Uh, the coach loved him, but um, we had some good players there. Like like uh, Meissen was a solid player. Like he he put up the points and he fought everybody. Um, we had some good old school guys like Chris Grenville who played in the United League before. Eric Schneider was a good player. Dave Gilmore was a guy that was from. Uh, from St. Thomas, Ontario, close to me. So when I was growing up, he was a star with the London Knights. Yep. So it was cool to play with him. And he was probably, you know, looking back at it now, I'm looking at the screen now, and he was probably one of the funniest guys I ever played with, David Gilmore. He was he was a good hockey player and a funny guy. But, yeah, it was a good – It was a, he always – Terry always kept a small team because you, you only – the funny thing was in the Central League, you, you know, you'll talk to these other guys, they'll tell you, like, 10 forwards, 5 defense. But Terry never carried a 10th forward. He always carried 9 forwards. And he'd keep one on the IR, so so he could always he could always mix like with a salary cap. I'm guessing um, he could bring a guy in and out of the IR all the time, and it wouldn't affect anything. But so if, if you were if you were playing, you were playing. So when I got there, I played. It was I played every single night, and I enjoyed it. I said, yeah, I was just looking at the roster. Now I see you got uh, uh, he was he was just a kid, probably just a rookie at that point. Uh, Joey Sewell. Oh, he was a treat. He was unbelievable. That kid. Yep. He was yeah I haven't heard that name in ages but yeah he he Terry Terry loved him Terry loved that guy and he I don't know did he play there after as well I can't really remember but he was tough he 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 was small and he was um he could play like he was a good hockey player yeah he went out to Terry was always good at recruiting out of tier too like he would find guys yeah he would well, find I, can, guys. I can remember yeah Sewell like he was he thumped man in what in Windsor with the Spitfires. He played there for a few, three years, and I, oh yeah, I'm looking there now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he did play for Windsor. Yeah, well, because being out west, and the I mean, obviously we got WHL, so we never, I never saw the OHL guys, and I can remember getting a, a Windsor Spitfire tape, and the whole list was just Joey Sewell, and I'm like, who is yeah, this he, guy? And you put it on. Uh, so like, I thought he'd come out. At, I thought he well, he, he played in the north, the northern Northern Ontario League after that. So yeah, so he did play major junior, and then yep. he did play. He only played that same year I did with Laredo. Then he went, then he moved on. Yep. But he was tough, tough as nails, and uh, you know, just a good, quiet kid. Yeah, that's a blast from the past. Oh yeah, slow soul. He was uh, yeah. And I remember getting that that Windsor tape, and it was like he's just dummying guys on there. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, Joe. I was I was a fan of Joey Sewell after that. Yeah, sure. so was I. Now that you've said it, there you go. Um, well, and like you said, the the Central League at that at that time, uh, no shortage of toughness. And 
A couple names that you took on right off the bat that people listening will know is uh, Greg Lakovic, Sasha's brother, yeah, I, who I always actually said was tougher than Sasha was, uh, yeah. in my opinion. But how was that fighting Greg? Yeah, he was in he was in Memphis, and I think I think he I think he goes in, uh, he goes in the same class as Marty Malachuk. Yep. Yeah, maybe you know I don't have the um, you know I haven't watched the tapes that you guys have watched, but maybe could be considered tougher. And he was a stand-up fighter, like he stood and he threw, and he was strong, and he was tough. He was really tough. Yeah, he was really tough and honest. And um, I, I can't remember if I fought him and Kote in the same game or not, or if it was different games or back-to-back or whatever it was. But Kote was a young kid coming up, and obviously he went on to play in the NHL, mm-hmm. and he was a tough kid as well. But Lakovic doesn't get mentioned. You know, you don't hear that name enough, I don't think, for how tough he was. No, well, that's the thing, especially lack of it, right? I mean, everybody talks about his brother. And, and yeah. Sasha was a tough dude, but Sasha was like the entertainer and whatever. That's and, right. I mean, you know, and, uh, you know, and Greg sort of kind of got, uh, you know, he didn't play in the NHL or whatever, so he kind of gets forgotten about. But yeah, you watch those old Central League and he's, oh man, he, everybody, and you mentioned his name to every, like all the guys that I've had on the podcast and stuff. Yeah, they all just said what you said. Like just a yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, I've, I've I fought him in Memphis, and he's tough. I don't even know where the fight was. It was either in Memphis or Laredo, obviously. And I fought him, and he was tough. He was yeah. tougher than me, I'll tell you that at that time. Well, and the Cote you mentioned, of course, is Riley Cote. Um, yeah. Who, who went on yet and played with the Flyers and stuff. And I always laughed that Cote was such a strange thing because, like, he played in Prince Albert in the Western League. So we watched him play, and he was, like, their captain and was, like, a like – a, like, he was always physical and stuff, but he was never a big fighter. And it was yeah. just, and I remember all of a sudden he got up to kind of Philadelphia and it was like Riley Cote. And I'm like, is that, that the same guy? Cause he looked yeah, completely yeah. different and you know, and then you go back and look and yeah, here he is fighting in the central league. And I mean, he just, you know, he realized what he had to do to make it and did the he adjustments did. And, and, and went for it. But, uh, he certainly did. Yeah. But, um, well, a couple other guys you fought, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Kenny Getz and, yeah, Kenny Getz and Corpus Christi. Yeah. yeah, he was a smaller guy, but he would go forever. Yeah, he would go. He would fight forever. He lo- he loved it, and he and he was a tough tough guy. Yeah, 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 yeah tough. Not like not like different. Not like uh, not like a Lakovic or a, a Richardson. Like he was he was like him and Meissen would have perfect fights. Yeah, uh-huh. him and Dave Meissen, I'm pretty sure fought a number yep. of times, and that that's him. That's him to a T. Would take on all comers. And uh, but wasn't overly big. Well, and another guy that was, that was out in Austin at the time that really you know he played in the minors for a long time and put up a lot of pims and everybody will know the name when I say it was uh, and I mentioned it before but Sean Legault I know you fought him there. I fought him there. Yeah, he was scary tough. He was a tough guy. Yeah, he was. I always the thing I always remember about Legault is when he fought Lassard when he got called up. Yeah, had a tough goal against Lassard, and I always wondered. I always wondered in my head is because I always thought Legault was really, really tough, and I always thought to myself, does that mean that those guys are that much even tougher, or did Legault just have a bad day? And I always, you know, like, I always consider those guys, those the NHL guys, to be on a whole different level to guys like me, and I always wondered. But I always considered Legault up in that kind of stratosphere, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. I, always, I always wondered about that because Legault sure was tough. Well, and that's the thing, right? You're always, you're always trying, you, you know, you got to try to find a measuring stick, right? And, yeah, that's right. Uh, and I know in the future here, well, we haven't got across the pond yet, 
but yeah, you ran into a very, yeah, 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 you ran into a very large there. measuring stick, and we'll get into that yeah. later. But uh, uh, another guy I want to talk about, and he was uh, he doesn't get talked about, but he was around for a long time. It was uh, Sprott, Jim Sprott. Yeah, I had a lot of that helped me get to get over here actually, because <clears throat> uh, the co- we'll talk about it later. But I had I had a few good fights with Sprott and the coach that we'll talk about it later. But Sprott was Sprott was on the wind down in Shreveport, but he always gave me a fight, and he was tough. He was like they they had tough teams in Shreveport, and they had good teams like Buchanan, him, Quade Lightbody, another kind of tough stay at home defenseman. But Sprott was the man there. I'll tell you, he was he was tough. And he was like one of those old warriors, and that goes back to that goes back to guys like Robin Bouchard and you know these classic guys that you just don't see anymore. Like you would never see a Jim Sprott playing in the East Coast League nowadays, or a or a um, uh, who were we talking about before from Quad City, Gary Goulash or yeah. Toporowski. These are characters. Yeah, you don't have that anymore. I wouldn't think you do. Of course, I haven't seen a game or anything like that. But you're not going to have these 35 year old grizzled veterans with leather straps and. You know, just tough, tough guys. Well, it just seems a little with the hockey. I mean, they've gone to this, like, I mean, they had the veteran rule and all this stuff. And, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know the whole ins and outs of it. But I remember kind of reading about it and getting told about it. I don't know. To me, that seemed to, like, I don't know, just sort of kill the vibe of the minors for some reason. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think you're probably right. But at the end of the day, it, it, what it does is it helps budgets. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they can keep younger kids in there for three and four and five hundred dollars a week. Well, then that's to keep the product on the ice, and you know, rather than pay a vet and have their whole family there and the whole bit, rather you know, the rest of it. So I think that it just takes a character away from the game, and the game's changed. So it's those guys couldn't play now. So it's, yeah, it's, you know, those guys, those guys were. All you know, it's like Sprout was a player. Like he wasn't. Like, once again, coming back to guys that actually played, he was a player. He, he, you know, they won a championship or two in in Shreveport, and he was a he was a key player for those teams. And he was as tough as hell and scary, really. No, absolutely. And uh, well, before we uh, move on to the next year, I got to uh, a shout out because I know he always listens. And uh, he was in Oklahoma at the time when you were there or when you were playing against them. Was uh, Les Borsheim? I know Les always listens to the show, so. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I can't remember if I played against him or not, but I do. I do. I do know. I do know him, and I do remember him. And I remember him. I remember thinking about him because he went up to Philly. Yep. And I do remember how tough he was. And I think I did play. I do want to say I played against him, but I can't be sure. I definitely didn't fight him. But he was another one of those guys that. In I would put him in the same pool as a Lego. Like I wasn't quite there yet. Like I wasn't, you know, I got I got there at 24, 25, 26, but I was still younger, and I, I wasn't at that stature yet. I don't think he was another guy that you you knew that was tough. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I was going to ask you about that. Like when you mentioned when you fought Melnichuk, and he kind of he kind of hung a couple on you. Um, at, at that age, when you're in that, does that kind of really? Um, I mean, no, obviously no one wants to lose or anything like that, but does that kind of hurt the psyche at all? Like, or did you, were you kind of gun shy getting back into it or did you want to get back into it right away? Or I've always wanted to get right back into it. That's probably why I fought him twice in that same game. But it was, uh, yeah, I always wanted to get back. But Flint was different for me because I didn't feel, I was only there a short time and I was a younger guy doing that job and I didn't really feel like part of the team there really. Um, Didn't really feel like part of the team there. It was so when if you lost a fight, you kind of you didn't feel so disappointed for your team. You just felt maybe a little bit more disappointed in yourself. 
Um, I think later on, if you had lost a fight, when you're part of a team and playing on a team, you know, you feel more, I don't know how to really explain it, but you're more part of the team, so you want to fight for them more, if that makes sense. I think when I was in Flint, when I was in Flint, I was just fighting for the sake of fighting. Yeah, well, it's like you lost, that sucks, you know, but when you're part of the team, it's like you kind of feel like you let 18 guys down. Yeah, 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 and and that's probably what I mean by that. Yeah. So I don't, didn't really, you know, when I lost to Amel Chuck. I don't really care what the other, you know, I probably cared at the time, but looking back, I didn't really feel part of that team. Where I went to Laredo and I did well in most of my fights, maybe all my fights, and, you know, you felt like a team who went on a playoff run and he, he had a small roster and we all knew each other. And it was, I came in there late and was part of the team and it was a brand new rink and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, so it was a different, yeah, like I said before, I think Laredo is when I felt I'm a hockey player now and I, and I belong at this level. Yeah, well, and like you said, it was uh, they were, they were kind of was that their first year? It was, yeah, it was yeah. Expansion. So I mean, it's all brand new, and the, I know the fans kind of really took to you guys. How was the uh, how are the off ice perks? Were they pretty good? The, the sponsors taking care of you guys pretty good? Yeah, that was always the case down there. Like you'd always get the, the <laughs> seems so silly now, but it probably helped at the time. The fifty percent off cards and the you know the discount drinks and the, oh, the dry yeah. clean, whatever you know, you get all sorts of stuff down there. But it was uh, in any of those teams. And there's always a couple of guys on the team that there's always a couple of guys in the team that were the schmoozers. I was never a schmoozer. So there'd be, you know, I got a deal for this or I can get you this or, you know, that sort of stuff. Oh, there's always, yeah, there's always, there's always never the paid. one guy that's the hookup, right? Yeah, there is. There is really, you know, and if you remind me when we get to Bloomington, I'll tell you about the guy that had the hookup that year. I remember the, I remember the hookup guy for that year, but um, there was always, you know, there's always deals around town and I think it helped because we weren't making a lot of money back then. So it was all that sort of stuff helped, but it was, that was a cool place to play. We walked over, you know, you could walk across to Mexico. Um, not that it's Mexico as if it's like Cancun or something, but you'd walk across and have some cheap beers and walk back and you'd have to stay relatively close to the border. You wouldn't want to get too deep in. And, you know, like that sort of stuff for a Canadian kid, small-town Canadian kid, to be able to walk across to Mexico is something different. Well, I was going to say, yeah, it's a whole uh, like culture shock down there for sure. Uh, yeah, no, I talked to a few guys that play, like they played in Oklahoma. And like you said, they, like back then, before the basketball team and everything, oh. like they were getting like 10,000 people. He goes, we were rock stars. And he goes, yeah. the stuff they gave us, man, oh, you needed tires for your car, your car hook, you yeah. know, anything. It was yeah. just like... No, hey, just we got it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you wouldn't like pay a- for it. You, yeah, if you had the right hookups, you didn't have to pay for anything back then. No. And I remember like going to Oak City. Like we go to Oak City, and you said ten thousand, but I remember playing in front of sixteen thousand there. Yeah. Like it was um, that was a special place. Like that was uh, that was a good place to play hockey back then. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and it was always funny because Oklahoma, especially around here, uh, with Sauter, the coach, he was always yeah. big into getting the Saskatchewan boys, right? Like half that yeah. team was SJHL guys, right? Yeah, so, they would have been, yeah. You, you know, like, you know, Fleck and Prasovsky and Burke yeah. Bank and all them and Cefalo right. and, you know, so yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was the place apparently. Uh, I'm hoping they yeah, get Wade been. on the show. He's got a few stories to tell, he said, so. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, like you said, the following year it was a numbers game and uh, you didn't want to go or you were kind of pissed to leave Laredo, but you end up in Memphis. Um, yep. uh, how? Uh, what did you think of heading down to, to Memphis? Uh, did, you, did you cruise Beale Street and how was it? Yeah, we did. I only went down there once because we lived about 25 or 30 minutes out of Memphis and we went down there once, um, which, which now it's, uh, most of the other hockey players will understand. Like when you're in that... There's only a few players from each team that actually take advantage of where they're living and 
to know that I was living in Memphis and only a couple hours from Nashville and didn't take advantage of it is, is pretty annoying now when I look back. Um, you know, you get in the routine of training, you know, training, having a nap every single day, just sticking close to home. Yeah. You, know, you know, I didn't take advantage of the places I played. And Memphis is one thing, one place <laughs> um, that I regret not taking advantage of because that, that would have been a pretty cool place to investigate a little bit more. Well, I know, yeah, absolutely. No, I've been, I've been down in Louisiana and stuff, but I never got to Memphis and stuff. I always kind of, I want to get down there because it looks like an interesting place, Nashville. I've heard Nashville is really cool, actually. Well, we talk, Well, I'm into my music, so it's just in, in, in all sorts of music, and Nashville is the the, the yeah. place to be for that. Yeah. So it is just annoying now that I look back at it and think I actually lived just outside of Memphis, and I went into Memphis. Uh, you know, the the owner got us. Um, limos one night and the whole team went in and had a big night out but that was the only time that i'd gone in there other than i went to i went to graceland a couple of times you know i didn't just didn't take advantage of the places i well i'd never played anywhere like that before to be fair but nowhere worth visiting <laughs> nowhere worth visiting really but but i never really took advantage of doing any sightseeing or anything well you get in that hockey bubble right and it's just, oh, yeah yeah but uh well like you said you had um well, and then the other kind of kick in the nuts over the whole thing is you go to Memphis and Laredo wins the league. Uh, yeah, but Memphis had won it the year before, so wow. I was just kind of in, sandwiched in between, shit sandwiched in between. Uh, well, I don't want to call you a jinx, but it's starting to kind of look <laughs> that way. I don't know. <laughs> well, I won a couple later on, so yeah, I'm okay. Did. Yeah. Well, you had a couple a uh, couple of teammates of Memphis I want to throw at you. We'll get back with Daryl Moore. There you go, from the Ontario yep. days. And, yeah, uh, from junior, so that was that was a familiar face when I got there. So that was good. He was a steady, steady third line penalty killer, tough, fought everybody, good centerman, uh, uh, good teammate. Uh, yeah, he was a good guy, and I, and obviously it, it helped seeing some familiarity there. So that was good. Yeah, well, and another guy he didn't play long. He played ten games or so. Doty Wood. Yeah, Doty Wood. Actually, he um, he played over here as well. So I've kind of I reconnected with him a couple months ago. I just sent him a message because he's got I want to say two daughters that live over here, and he comes over here often. Okay. So I just sent him a random message, not thinking you know, not thinking anything of it, and I said you know, next time you're over, let me know, and you come over to our place and you know, hang out for a bit and have some beers and that sort of stuff. So hopefully that'll happen because Doty was a legend, and when he come into our locker room. Um, we had some other legends on that team, you Don Parsons and, and guys like that that had played in the minors for a long time. But Doty Wood was uh, was the, the real deal, and he was at the end. But he was um, he was just just cool to see around, and he was a funny guy, and you know he had been he'd been around the block. So yeah, well here he comes in from you know you got, this guy fought Probert and them, right? You know it's like yeah. did did you ever like uh, I mean did you ever seek him out like advice? Like did you guys ever work on stuff or? No, I didn't really do that. We'll talk about that a little bit later when I got to London, but I don't really remember that with Doty so much. Don't really remember doing that so much with Doty. I did a lot of fighting that year, but I don't remember talking to him about it, which I probably should have. I don't I just don't remember quizzing him that much that year. No, I don't don't remember any conversations. And he wasn't there that long either. He was there 10 games. I don't know if it was the final 10 games or what, but he wasn't there very long either. You know, 10 games in the Central League could be two weeks. Well, exactly, yeah. Actually, I was just looking. I actually actually didn't realize he was on the team, but he only just played the two games. Chris Waltz was there for two games. Yeah, Yeah, that. I don't know when that was because that wasn't when I was there. So I don't know if that was – but then I was there the full season. Yeah. I know Chris Waltz. I know know of him, but I don't don't remember when that was or – or how that came about. So no, I don't remember Waltzy there. 
Yeah, well, like you said, I mean, you put, I would, you know, hundreds of teammates at this point, you know, you know, so it's like, you know, guys going, like you said, going in and out, and you're in that bubble, yeah. and, you know. But uh, there was uh, there was some there were some good characters on that team, like Brian Tucker and Brad Mueller. Yeah, Jay Neal, good guys. Yeah, say that again, Jay Neal. Yeah, Gagnon, Jonathan Gagnon, he was there. But Don Parsons was the one. He was the he was the master there. He was the mayor of Memphis. That guy. Yeah. Right, right up there. Jerry the King Lawler, yeah, yeah, and John yeah. Parsons, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got to play. I got to play with him in Bloomington again, so it was good to reconnect with him. But he was uh, Don Parsons was the man there. He, you know, he'd won two two championships there, and he lived there, and he was he was quite a character. Well, I mean, a few of the characters that you you rumbled with that year, um, you know, Big Mark Scott uh, fought him a couple times. Yeah, he was in Tulsa. He was tough. He had like a leather face. He was uh, he was tough, and he was another one, long arms, stand up fighter, like no messing around. Um, yeah, he was tough. He was really tough. I fought him a couple times at least. Yep. Well, then Brent Thompson, like you talk about uh, a guy that was been around and fought everybody. Yeah, I fought him in Colorado. I'm pretty sure he um, he was a, it was a man against a boy. I'm pretty sure then. <laughs> he was tough. He was a big, he was a big boy. Yeah. And he was uh, he was mean. He was a mean man. Well, one guy that I know, I don't know, like, did you have like personal heat with this guy or what? Because you fought him four times. Was uh, Charge uh, Charlie LZ? Yeah, he was an American guy, but he had knocked me out in a fight. Yeah. So it was one the first time I'd ever been knocked out. I'd been dropped a few times. Don't get me wrong, but he actually knocked me out cold. We were fighting. I want to say in Oklahoma City. And I always tell the story because I'll never forget it because I dropped my head and he hit me on the top of the head and it hit me that hard that it knocked me out. Like I was out, I was on my knees and I remember my mouth guard falling out of my mouth and my hands going all, all funny and just being out like a light. And then the rivalry started there. So, um, I think the next time we fought, I think it got broke up right early and then I think it came out and then we fought again and I kind of had my back on I got my back on him because I was I was fuming that I got I got caught with that punch yeah that's um yeah so when you're sitting like that's gotta you know it's just a scary feeling I mean uh you know I've been knocked out too and I mean to have that I mean that that's um did like you said you you always wanted to get right back at it did, when like you said when that's the first time getting kind of knocked out like that what, what were you feeling after that? Were you uh... – Well, so the, the next game I asked the coach to start the game. Yeah, you just so wanted... we were in, we were, Yeah, we were in Oklahoma City again. I went in the coach's office and said, can I start the game tonight, please? So I always wanted to get my back. Like I knew that I – you know, you, everybody gets knocked out. It, yep. it's always, it always happens. So when you have, you know, like me, I had 200 and some odd fights or 250 fights or whatever, you're going to get knocked out. That's part of the deal. And, you know, like I didn't think he was tougher than me. So, I, you know, that pissed me off. But – um, I got, I, you know, I, I, you know, I repaid my debts and he was a tough guy, big, big, solid guy and fought fair. And, and, you know, I just wanted to get back at it. So it wasn't a case of me getting knocked out and, and being worried about it. I just had to get back and, and show that I could do it. But I remember that it was just a way that I got knocked out because you just don't see it. Like he hit me on the top of the head. So I felt it down my spine and I remember just dropping to my knees, not even really knowing where I was. And I remember my mouth guard falling out of my mouth. And it was just kind of a just a weird moment. I remember I had to stay with the trainer, like we we're on the road, so I had to stay in the hotel with the trainer. I think back then they used to wake you up every hour, every couple hours, that sort of thing. Oh yeah, wow! How far we've come 
from what it yeah. was, right? Like, yeah. That was probably out for a week. <laughs> yeah. Probably out of the lineup for a week and then straight back in. Yeah, crazy when you think about it. Well, yeah. before we go, the one guy I wanted to ask you what was, uh, you fought him a couple times was uh, Mike Amadeo, who was in Laredo at the time. Now, was that like a personal thing? Like, he's a, like, yeah, a kind of looking like I, that's my spot? Yeah, he well, he was the guy that was sent down. Yeah. So he was sent down from San Antonio. So I think, you know, I had gone to camp in Laredo. So that, that so when he got sent down was when, when I packed up and had to go. So, yeah, so I, I, I can't remember. I don't know if I fought him twice or I can't remember back, you know, I can't really remember if I'd fought him twice in that game or whatever. But I remember I was pissed off, yeah. Yeah, I probably just wanted to get my back a little bit because I know Terry liked me. So it was just kind of a bit of annoying. It was just a bit annoying at that time because I quite liked it there. Yeah, like you said, it was a numbers thing. It was never uh, like an issue with Terry or anything. Or no, I love Terry. I still, I'll still send Terry a message the odd time just to see how he's doing. Yeah, I, I like Terry. He was, he was, um, you know, like I've had a lot of coaches, and he's probably the best one. Like he's, he was, he was fair and he was honest, and he told you exactly how it was, and there was no. There's no qualms. And, he, and he, you know, I played for a few teams before that, but he gave me the first chance to play and really play. You know what I mean? Like, play. And he worked with me. We'd be skating after practice and, you know, like we'd be shooting. He'd spend his time with me and help me and try to get me better. He was a, he was a hell of a coach. Very, yeah. No, I've met Terry a couple of times. Yeah, nice guy. Yeah, hell of a talent. I mean, you know, hell of, hell of a pro career, NHL. And, yeah, oh. he, he was a talent, man. Yeah, and he was a leader. Yep. Well, here we go. Like you said, sort of the the the, the tale of two careers. I mean, yeah. so you we're done in Memphis, and then the following year is we're heading over to the pond to the UK, and you played for the London Racers. First of all, how did you? Were was it a a conscious thing to go over to the UK, or were you done in the states, or like how did yeah, that I, all happen? Yeah, I think I was done. I think I just realized. Oh, did I lose you? No, you're still here. Are you there? Yeah. Oh, good. I thought, sorry about that. I just clicked something because I was going on the London page. Um, sorry about that. Um, back to the question. Um, it was I wanted to go overseas, but I was um, skating in the summers uh, with you know as all all of us do. You go home in the summer and you, you pool together with pro guys and you skate in the summer. And there was a guy there. His name was Trevor Gallant, and he had played in the OHL. And he was a you know he was a really good player, but he played a lot of years in Europe. And I asked him when I, when I was a kid, I always wanted to play in the minors and I always was inquisitive about, you know, I used to watch the Spangler Cup as a kid and I was always inquisitive with the pants with the stickers on them. And, and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna, I want to try to go to Europe. And I remember speaking to him and he said to me, you know, the only country you can go to is the UK. It's only, you know, England. It's the only place you can go because that's the only place that will allow fighting. So I remember just sending some emails out to coaches um, from around, like Belfast I spoke to and I spoke to London I think those are the only two, maybe Cardiff at the time, and Dennis Maxwell, who, if you're a fight fan, you'll know who he is. Mm-hmm. But he um, he was he called me right away, and then we, we got something done, and then I went straight over there the following September. Well, before we get there, when you were talking about these summer skates, did you have a run-in with Chris Barch right here? Yeah, 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 Chris Barch, he was tough. So we used to skate with it. I was out of my class. That was a different class of skate. So that, there was different, there was different, um, there was different quality to some of the summer skates. So you'd have like your minor league guys and junior guys, but then you had like the, the NHL guys had a skate. And I used to just weasel my way in on that skate every summer as well. So they used to skate every day. Um, I think in July and August, and I was definitely out of my class there. But Barch was good. Yeah, he was. Um, he was fine. He was just starting his role as a tough guy. And we used to wrestle a little bit after practices, so we used to just wrestle back and forth a little bit. 
um, during those summer skates. But he was he was another guy, and Junior was a skill guy, and he just changed his game, and, and he fought everybody, didn't he? He did. Yeah. Well, he's like one of those guys, right? If you recognize, you got to make the next level, and you know, skills weren't gonna his skills weren't gonna do it, so he had to use his fists, right? So yeah, yeah. Those skate those skates were good though. Those were like I remember I'd go in there and I was easily the worst player there by a country mile. But it was Steve Ruchin, uh, Corey Perry, um, Andy McDonald who played in Anaheim, Jason Williams who had played in Detroit. Um, it was a list of of local NHL guys that were that had the ice, and they, it would just be scattered with American League guys and and just a couple plugs like me that would just show up every single day. Well, I mean, you're you know, I mean, I know what you're saying, but I mean, you're a pro guy. I mean, uh, were, were they cool with you? They didn't big league you? Or? Oh no, no, no! They were always good. It was, uh, and I'd been skating with them for years. It was actually even before those boys. It was with. Um, Jeff, like I used to skate with like Jeff Reese. Do you remember the goalie Jeff Reese? Yeah, yeah. And there was another goalie um, that had the ice. It was Jeff Reese and another goalie, and I'll think of his name in a second. I've got to think back. But they used to actually pay for the ice, and they used to get junior and college and pro guys. So that that skate just kind of developed into that other skate with the other guys kind of over the years. I'm trying to think of the other goalie. Played for Chicago. His son was a goalie that played in the American League not too not too long ago. I can't think of his name, but he's a London, Ontario guy. But anyways, but I used to go, I kind of always had my nose in that group, and that's why I was able to kind of carry it on. But after, I think the last year I skated with them, I think was the year I went to Sheffield, and after that I didn't bother going back out because I think it pretty much went to an NHL only only skate, really. And they still do those skates today. Oh, yeah. Then, oh, um, well, so you go over to London, and of course it's 0405, which is the lockout year. Yeah. Yeah, well, so did were you... Um, was it tough finding work, like with the pro with well, the NHL guys? No, I didn't have any. Um, I, you know, I was probably obviously with a different pay grade than those guys, so it wasn't uh, wasn't an issue for me. Um, I don't really remember what I was going to do back home if I was going to do anything. I think maybe at the time I was speaking with Odessa, so I always well, like that coach there, Don McKee, I think his name was, and I want to say I might have been speaking to him, and then I ended up going to London anyways. So it was um, it was a good choice for me. It was it was what I needed: less fights and a new experience, really. Yeah, well, and I mean, yeah, it's funny how the life's path takes you, right? I mean, uh, so this is sort of uh, going over. The, who would have thought, right? Get married, oh, never work over there, and everything else, right? Live there, and so. But yeah. so you're on the plane. Over you go. Um, well, right away, some of your teammates. You had Scott Nickel. Um, you know, like you said, Dennis Mackwell, Ian McIntyre, Jason Robinson, and then of course, yep. uh, big Eric Karens comes over and, uh, yeah, he, he, yeah, he was great for me. He taught me so much. He was just like, that's, that's like I was talking before about that other level of tough guy. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't, maybe the, I don't know if the fans really understand, like there's another level and he was in that level of scary tough and just, you know, a wonderful guy off the ice and we'd go out and, you know, like, you know, out for drinks and all that sort of stuff. And he was one of the boys and it was, it was, uh, it was a good experience playing with him and nickel. Both were good, good players and good guys in the locker room. And it was, I think Maxwell and Dennis, Dennis Maxwell and, and Karen's were good friends. So I think that's how that came about, but it was cool having him around because it, it made our team super tough. It was already a tough team, but it, it, it got a lot tougher when he arrived. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Well, you kind of just mentioned it. I was gonna say, like, so obviously he didn't big league you guys, and I mean, he took he did like he took it serious. Like, this is oh yeah, 
Yeah, there was no him and Nickel both. It was. Uh, it, I, I think as that season wore on, I think when they got there, they were thinking they were going to be going back to play quite soon. So it was gym after every day and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, like you know, in the locker room and, and taking care of themselves. But I think kind of as the year went on, yeah. I think the beers come yeah. out probably a little bit more, and they got a little bit comfortable. I think. Yeah, well, and like you said, the first, and I mean, especially at that time period, I mean, uh, you know, you don't, uh, you know, as fans, you didn't think about it as in the UK in terms of like a, you know, a tough fighting league or anything. But I mean, there was some dudes over there. And, um, I mean, yeah, just looking at the guys you fought, I mean, Jeff Uwasco, I mean, Andre Payette three times, Matt, yep. Matt Mal, uh, McKenna, yep. and yep. Uh, and then, like we said, when we were mentioned it earlier, the measuring stick, you fought Wade Belak a couple times. And I and I heard what well, I saw, you kind of jumped him in one of them, and that Wade was a little pissed about it. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, he... Um... Wade, Wade Wade was tough. Like he yeah. uh, and I and I fought him twice, and I don't have any issue saying I think at that time he was a top five NHL tough guy. He definitely was. Like he, he was like, and you can maybe take argument for top three because he was scary tough. And the reason why I jumped him was because um, I'd fought him in Coventry, and he had jumped me. He had cross checked me in the face and jumped me. I think I finished my check on him or I was in the corner and then I can't remember. It was probably on, it's probably one of the ones that's on YouTube, but he cut me pretty good over the temple. But, um, I had fought him once and he had jumped me, but when I had jumped him in London, he had taken one of our, we had a young British player on the team named Jason Hewitt, who went on to have a really good career over here. Um, he played in Sheffield for a thousand years and won loads of trophies and he had a really, really distinguished career, but he was just starting out. He might've been 19 years old and Wade absolutely killed him in the middle of the ice. Like it was like it was like me running over my three year old kid, like he just annihilated him. So I just jumped the boards and and grabbed you know just jumped on jumped on top of him. But I remember when he was down on the ice, and I had dropped my gloves and he had kind of just gone down, and then when he got up, I thought, oh my god, he's gonna kill me. And then we had a fight. But yeah, so I was holding on for dear life at the end of it because he was he was strong and he was mean. There was no, when Wade went over there, there was no taking the helmet off and squaring off. He was keeping his helmet on, he was protecting himself, and he was going to do whatever it took to, to clean you up if he had to. Well, that was the thing that surprised me when, they, when those guys went over there, because like, I thought they were just going to treat it like Sunday in the park, right? And him and Karens were doing a lot of fighting, and actually they fought each other, which actually really surprised me, because I kind of thought, oh, the NHL boys, they'll, they'll kind of give each other the wink and the nod, but they were, yeah. they were serious. Yeah, they were dead serious, and I think um, I remember the first game that it's funny because I'm a hockey fan. So I remember when I fought Wade, I had um, Karen's to get me a sign. Like I gave him the photo and said, "Can you get him to sign this, please?" So I've got that in my office, like a, a signed picture of me fighting Wade. Awesome, but you know what I mean. So and I've got a signed photo of me fighting Mel as well because he was like, when I was you know 16, 17, 18, he was the talk of the minor leagues. You know, like so I, you know I've got those two signed photos from those times. And, you know, those are good memories. But I remember when 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 Eric and, and Wade first come over, I asked Karen's, they said, you, can you introduce him to me? I wouldn't mind meeting him. I think maybe they were staying for a beer or something after the game. And he goes, no. He goes, I'm not going to introduce you to him because you're going to end up fighting him throughout the year. <laughs> and he was right. Well, there, there you go. Well, speaking of Mel, I mean, he had that real good one with Karen's. That was a hell of a Yeah, that happened, that happened after I fought him. It was like the next shift after. Yeah. That fight, I'll never forget it because I was young and I was asking all the guys to fight me. 
And I remember lining up in Belfast in the far end, and I remember saying to him, you know, let's go or whatever you say. And, uh, you know, Mel was like, okay, kid, yeah, no problem. And then we dropped our gloves. I took my helmet off. And he, if you were born in the UK, if you're born before 1976 or something or 74, whatever it is, you don't have to wear a visor. It's still the same today, but there's not many guys left, obviously. But um, he didn't wear a visor. So we're squaring off. We're circling. I've got no helmet on. And he left his helmet on. And you just hear Karen standing. He was on the ice at the same time. And you just hear Karen's just yell, take your effing helmet off, Mel. And then Mel took his helmet off. And we had a fight. And I think I fell. I fell relatively early in the fight. But it was a good fight, blow for blow at the start. And then I think he kind of overpowered me and I fell backwards. Um, but but. Getting back to Karenzi uh, and him fighting, once he came out of the box, um, Karenzi went for him, and I had never heard face faces getting hit as hard as I heard that day. I was on the ice, and you could just hear that smack. That yeah. that yeah. you know that you know if you if you punch your fist, that that smack, you could just hear it back and forth, back and forth, and it was that was one of the best fights I ever saw. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, and, and us little fight nerd fans that we always talked about, that was always the talk, right, was, like, how tough would be Engelstad, and, oh, it's too bad he couldn't get in the NHL, and let's see him get it, NHL guys, because you always have, like, the minor league legends, like him and Bialois, and guys Yeah, like that's that. right. And it's like, oh, how would they do against Karens and Belak and stuff like that? Well, then here was the chance, right, because Eric Karens at that time was probably the top guy in the NHL, if not top Absolutely. three, him and Wade, yeah, yeah, and then here's Mel just hanging yeah. with him, right, and going toe for yeah. blow for blow, and it's like, I think that sort of cemented the idea of like, yeah, Mel could have hung with NHL tough guys. Yeah, I think, I, I absolutely, no question. No, but when you think about, when you actually dig dig a little bit deeper, it, it just probably weren't good enough players. Yeah, exactly. Especially someone like Bylois, like, yeah. like but, but then you can make the case for twists. Like, I remember my dad went to a Maple Leafs game um, when I was maybe 17, 16, and I remember him coming home saying, my dad, you know, my dad knew NHL players, but he didn't understand who Tony Twist was. And I remember him coming home and saying, you've got, you know, there's hope for you yet because I've seen this guy on the ice tonight that couldn't even skate. And, that, and he was talking about Twist. So it's, it's, it's unbelievable that, you know, my dad would pick up on that. But I think for when you're looking at those guys that are steady American League players that never got their chance, it's probably because they just maybe weren't good enough players. Yeah, well, and it's like anything, right? It's a numbers game and just uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But definitely, definitely and... tough. You know? Yeah, sorry. Definitely, definitely toughness wise. There's no question that those guys were tough enough. Yeah, there's no. And, and you know what? And, and I say that about myself with the American League. I think those those years, the first years in the in the elite league, you know, I, I could make a case to say that I could have easily fought in the American League. I oh, would yeah. have taken some lumps yeah. as well. But I, I know that with that resume, that was finally th- those those fights that I had that first year, especially proved to me that I could fight at that level. Well, yeah. Well, and then. Well, like one of the guys, and he played for a while in the American League with Philly, um, Payette. I mean, you fought fought yeah. him three times. Yeah, we went on. We're actually quite good friends now. Um, we fought. Interesting story about Andre because the first time we fought in Coventry, he'd come over, and I was in London, and he was wild, and he was a good player. People people don't realize he played, and he was a very very good hockey player. And we fought the first time, and I fell right at the start of the fight. I fell. We got the penalty box, and he's like, "Who do you think you are fighting me? You know, you're you know you're a nobody from the Central League or whatever." And then I, I the, the next two fights, I did very well against him. And then um, you know, I kind of you know redeemed myself a little bit for falling the first one. The fight didn't even get underway. I just once we came together, I just had fallen. 
And then I did well against him twice after that, but then I went on to play with him for new, two years in Newcastle. So we, were, we became quite close during those two years. Yeah, well, he's he's quite the character. I know he's a legend over there, and uh, yeah, he. Uh, well, okay, I talked to you on Twitter about this because this story was relayed to me that I have to ask you about. And we, yeah. you know, I mean, the statute of limitations is up, but there yeah. is the rumor of the bar brawl, and they they told me it was you, Maxwell, and Karens versus a rugby team. Yeah, that did happen, but I've never been a fighter off the ice, so. It, that I I I was there, and I would tell you if I had if I had been involved in that, I do remember it. But what I remember being, um, in, it's in central London, so I do. It was a sports cafe, and it was like a, a double or triple level kind of nightclub place that did chicken wings and all the. It was like an American place, so it had American tele, like sports on. So it was a, it was called the sports bar. I don't know if it's still there or not. Anyways, that was our main one of our main sponsors. So anytime we went out in central London, that's where we went, and it was full of Americans and just it was just full of people that it was just full of just full of full of students and it was just the, the place that we went to and I, what i remember from that night is being outside waiting for a cab maybe with some of the other guys and those guys getting hauled out and i think the fight had happened inside and i and i remember it, it kind of cued me up but i remember standing on the side of the road and karen's being pulled out of that bar so it did happen but i just didn't see exactly what had happened but it was it was an australian rugby team is what it was well, there it was, well here I was hoping we'd have the Australian rugby team versus the 0405 London London. No, I don't. I just don't remember. Like I don't even remember the kind of the talk in the locker room after that. You know, the next day I just remember some of the guys getting hauled out and thrown out into the street, and that's what I remember from that. So sorry, I can't help you with that, but it did happen. But I don't have the details. Oh well. Yeah. There I'd like go. to know who your source was for that. Well, I wonder who my source is. Like I said, it's the two <laughs> reprobates out there in the UK. Yeah, uh, feed me. I don't, They're I feeding me. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't me. I, I was I was there. I was there on that night out, and I remember Karen's being hauled out of there. But I don't remember seeing anything and being involved. Well, seriously, I'd, I'd tell you if I was. It would bother me. says he's not giving up his source. He's the TMZ of uh, of the UK, apparently. Yeah, uh, it did happen. It did happen. <laughs> I to that, I just wasn't wasn't me. How overall? How was your um, that? Well, you, you stayed, so obviously you like the UK. But I mean, uh, in London, just itself. How how was your first? Um, what were your first impressions of the league, play wise, in terms of skill yeah. level, and uh, and just with the fans and how they took to you? And what was your first yeah. overall impression of London in the UK? Yeah, I loved it over here, and that's probably why I'm still here, obviously. So from the minute that I got here, I've always enjoyed it here. Um, the hockey was, I would i would say, at that time, the hockey was um, somewhere between, you know, the Central League and the American League. Yeah. So I'd say, and I would say it was probably a little bit better than the Coast at that time. So when I got here, it took a bit of adjustment, getting used to the game, because it's still a North American game, north-south, hits, fights, but there's more ice. Yeah. So, like, you don't necessarily have more time with the puck, but then you kind of do. So it's 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 different. So the first year I was here, it was still me getting the puck, dumping it in, you know, that sort of thing. But when you get playing, and, and, and when I got that second year in London was when I really found my feet as a player over here. Um, you know, I played, and, and, and I played lots for Dennis as well, like Maxwell. But I didn't kill penalties very often, didn't play in the power play. But I played a regular shift here. Um and I just got better as a player. Like I just got from my first year to my second year was like night and day. And I, it was just a shame that London had folded at that time because I was really a big part of that team that second year, especially. And you know that that was 
devastating at the time, but the, the game itself was funner to play because you're playing the game. And the yeah. fights were last yeah. <clears throat> I want to say I had, I don't know, maybe I had 40 fights a year before. Like I had a ridiculous amount of fights. And that year, I don't know how many I had. I had less than 20 probably. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, it, uh, yeah, like 10 or 11 or something. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, like you said, quality opposition, of course. But yeah, in terms yeah. of the ice, um, like looking like now, wh- what do you prefer? Like the bigger ice surface or uh, the North American yeah, style? I think, yeah, especially when you can play and have fun and enjoy playing. And that's what that was about. That was that was me getting better as a player and and, and playing regular shifts and, and just getting better every single day. So, no, I enjoyed it. I, and it, it was the same same type of thing as when I was in Laredo. It was a small roster. So you had two lines of imports and they had a, a third line of, of British players. And then I would play on the third line quite often that first year. So it'd be me teamed up with two, two British players. And then you had two lines of imports, maybe with a, a, a high end British player mixed in a top, top one or two lines. So you had to play. So there was no sitting on the bench. I didn't sit on the bench at all. It was playing. Well, I enjoyed that. One of the things I know from talking to guys that have played over there, Jason Goulet and Emerson and Grimaldi yeah. and guys like that, um, they, they love the fans. They love being over there and everything. Um, while Goulet, I don't know. <laughs> that, there was a few we, can, we can talk about oh, I've got a different experience. I, I listened to that one, and I really liked him. Um, my experience is the same as him, but I had some other things going on at the time that were the, you know, we'll talk about Basingstoke later. Yeah. Um, but their biggest issue was, um, what they always said with that league was the, uh, refereeing. Horrendous. Yeah. Absolutely dire. Um, but it's, it's a shame to say because I've got, to, I, I was always really good with linesmen. I always liked the linesmen because obviously when you're fighting, you get to know them. Um, and I got to know quite a few refs, especially when I started coaching. Um, there are some good refs over here. Don't get me wrong. There's some that I know personally that are good refs. Um, there are some good refs over here, but there's <clears throat> obviously back then I wasn't, a, well, I was a captain when I was in London. So it wasn't, uh, it, you know, I had a bit to do with the refs. But it wasn't until I started coaching that I, and then in a lower league, which we'll talk about later, but that you really realize how bad the officiating can be. It can be, it can be awful. But there are some stand-up refs here, but there is more so than not some horrible refereeing. Okay, so yeah, so you're uh, basically, uh, so you wrap up the first season in London. Was there um, at that point? Was there any thought of ever going back, like going back to the states the next year, or was it like I'm going to London? And that's no, I. Yeah, I signed back really early, but I did get a, a very, very random call. I did get a call from the Leafs that summer, and um, I got invited to the rookie camp, but the rookie camp got canceled, so I couldn't go to it, and I was 24, I was 24 at that year, I think, 24 turning 25, so I remember I went down and met with um, the assistant manager in Toronto, I drove to Toronto, um, had a coffee with them, had a chat with them, and they, that's when they extended the offer to go to the rookie camp. And then the rookie camp had got canceled that year because of the lockout. The lockout was still going. Okay. And then I got an offer to go to the Marlies camp with no guarantee of anything. And me being, I don't know, I think I was a bit misguided in my head. I went back to London. I turned that down to go back to London. I think, you know, I, I, I felt like I, you know, I'd maybe lose my spot. Uh, London, they started They started earlier here in the UK, so I would have had to wait till October or whenever the American League camp start. And then I thought, you know what, I'm not going to have a job if I don't go back to London. So I did go back. I do have regrets about that, um, even if I would have just went to camp to see what it was all about, because I never had that opportunity. 
Um, but it was quite cool getting a phone call. John Ferguson Jr. called the house back then. We had answer machines, left a message at the house, and I called him back. And so that was that was quite cool. But it, you know, that was one of those hockey regrets that many guys have. Yeah, well, and then, well, and then, like you said, and then, to, and then to top it all off, which is sort of, you know, you get back to London and the team ends up folding twenty games yeah. in, you know. Yeah, it's, that was um, that was really annoying because that went through my head a lot at that time. I remember thinking, "What the hell have you just done?" Um, I should have maybe made some phone calls to see if I could still go or what. I don't know what where my head was at at that time. It was annoying though because I remember thinking I could have went to camp and at least shown what I could do and proved to myself and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, I wouldn't be sitting where I am if I had done that. So, you know, hindsight's a funny thing to look at, really, but that's just how it is. Yeah, well, like yeah. you said, Max Dennis Maxwell's coaching at the time. Um, like, th- was there any, like, did it just come right out of the blue, or was there rumors that they were shutting down, or... It came. We had some problems. A lot of people think we went bust because of money, but that, that's not the reason that I that I think it happened. I think it, it happened because we didn't have a rink. So I think there were plans to build a rink. Um, that was when uh, other people that were more in the know would be able to say more about this. But um, I think they had plans to build a rink, and they wanted to build a rink for hockey and blah, blah, blah. But with London had the 2020, 2010 Olympics, and they had just been granted them then. Or was it 2000, 2012, sorry. 2012 or 2010, I can't remember. Anyway, so obviously sport funding wasn't going to be going to ice hockey. So um, we had some problems with the rink we were playing at. We were playing at like a, a kid's rink, really. It only held about three or 400 people. Um, we had a, a player against Nottingham. Like I said, other people know more about this maybe that were in the know, but we had a player against Nottingham have his head put through the glass. And at that time, it wasn't plexi. It was like actually glass. And I don't know if there was some trouble with that, with maybe potential lawsuits or league problems or what, but we just kind of folded up after that incident. So, And the rink wasn't suitable for us to be playing out of, so there had to be some sort of better future plans if that team was going to be sustainable there. So we just kind of shut up shop right away, and that was it. We just got a phone call on the day, and that was it. Well, that's and it's too bad. Cause, I mean, I guess they've you know because London seems like that'd be a that'd be a cool place to play. Well, obviously you enjoyed it, but yeah, like that'd be cause you'd think that would sort of be like a, a a big kind of staple in the league would be London. Well, you would do, but it's it's tough to run a team out of London because it's it, 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 for a lot of people talk about this stuff over here all the time because housing, you know, uh, you know, let's just say if we're living at home and in, you know you can live in one city in a, an apartment for for five hundred dollars a week, but to live in London, it's like three thousand dollars a week to, to rent yeah. an apartment yeah. the, the 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 cost of running a team in london is just so big um and it's people have so much to do as well you know hockey's not the number one thing to go do in london that's for sure um so we struggled with fans there we and, and the, the rink that we were at if i can remember correctly there was no public transport directly to the rink so it was like some people had to take the underground and then get on a bus or get on a couple buses and you just couldn't drive to the rink it was like it was a pain in the ass to get to i'm pretty sure and we just didn't draw very well though the fans we did have were fantastic there's some people i still keep in touch with today but um overall the, the the club was awesome the team was awesome maxwell was a, a great coach he was good for me because he loved tough players um he gave me a chance to come over um our our housing was fantastic like we had no issues with housing or cars with brand new cars when we got here all that sort of stuff um equipment you hear horror stories of guys that play over here they never get their sticks they never get their skates they don't get paid on time there was none of that ever when I played in London. There was never an issue with finances when I played in London, and it was a good place to play. And, I, and it was 
it was it was one of the first times I actually felt part of the core of a team. So like I was with that team, that was my team moving forward. You know, like we had a good core of, of players there. Well, and I was just looking, well, I just looking at the good. roster. A couple couple names that stand out. Uh, of course, you had Nathan Rempel, who played for the Blade Saskatoon Blades here in town, um, and then uh, Trevor Baker and Jason Norrie. Yeah, that was a tough team. The second year, even I know we didn't have Karens that year, but we had a tough team. And that Trevor Baker, he was tough. Yep, it was ridiculous. We were playing in Cardiff on the season opener, and before the game, I said, "Boys, I'm fighting Voth tonight." Trevor Baker starts the game, and what does he do? He fights Voth right out the gate. And Voth's about six foot five, and Baker's about five foot ten. Arms, so his arms were double the length of mine. And he just give it to Voth, no problem. And he was as tough as nails. And Nori was Nori was tough as well. Don't get me wrong, but he was a good player. Baker was a good player as well. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't. I'm not. They both were very good players. Don't get me wrong. But Nori was maybe on the downturn a little bit. He had played his years in the coast, and he was, yeah. you know, he wasn't as intense or you know probably as he had been in the past. Because I had played against Nori in in the coast during my brief stay, so I remember how tough he was. And Rempel was a pure goal scorer, but he was a lefty, and he didn't take shit from anybody. He was he was very tough. He's known over here. As, he was a, he's got a very good reputation for being tough over here and a good player. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, and then uh, well, like you said, so you guys kind of you, you fold up and you uh, like at that point, obviously there's probably like a dispersal draft, or was it every man for himself? Because you end up in Newcastle. Yeah, that's right. So that was when Mel got released in Newcastle. Yep. It happened right on the same week. So I literally got in a car and drove straight to Newcastle and started there. So it was just one of those timing things that they needed some toughness, and all of a sudden London's folded, and I didn't know anybody in Newcastle. Walked into the lo- that locker room. I didn't have a single clue who they were because in the year before, we had played them once, but in a cup because they were in the league below. They were in the second division. So I didn't know any of the players didn't know anybody and just drove up there and and then I stayed there for two seasons. Well, a couple of your uh, teammates uh, and a real tough dude, uh, Paul Ferron and Andre Payet. Well, Payet, like you said before, but yeah. Do you have any stories of Paul Ferron? Because I Paul Ferron is the tough. Western League. Paul Ferron could be considered the toughest man to ever play over here. He is. You think of all the years of all the toughest guys they've had over here, Mike Wares and Paxton Schultes and all these guys. Paul Ferron was as tough as nails, yep. and he was maybe five foot eight, and he, he he was scary tough on the ice and off the ice, and the nicest guy you could ever meet off the ice. But he he was he was hellish scary tough, and there's been a lot of tough guys over here, and I'd put him at the top of that class. Yeah, well, like you said, everyone says the same thing, and uh, like I've said with Ferron, like when he was in Seattle and stuff, yeah, I mean, well, imagine Seattle had him and Dodie Wood at the same time, and it's just like, and I said he looked like the, you know, a member of the AV club, and then when the gloves gloves came off, he'd just murder guys. Yeah, and he was skinny back then, he used to tell me about it, like he was just 100 and whatever, you know, 170 pounds or whatever, and he was just killing guys. He He was in good shape. He was in good fighting shape at all times, and he was a steady player. He played second line, like scored goals, played the power play, killed penalties. But he was so tough, and it was like it was both hands. It was like he was like Morasti, but diff, total, like diff, not as 
I don't know how to explain it, like, but he could just switch like Morasti would. It would be one hand and then the other hand and just not even worry about it. And he was, um, he was, you know, he was tough. He was, I can't say enough good things about him. I used to go to the boxing gym with him and they had this gym in Newcastle that had, let's say, um, let's say it had 30, maybe 20, let's say 20 or t- between 20 and 30 different styles of heavy bags. And you used to go on the bags and it was timed. You go on the bag for a minute and a half and then it would be like a minute push ups or minute sit ups. It was just kind of this, it was like a boot camp almost, but it was with heavy bags. And you're working on different combinations and different punches on every bag with sit ups and push ups in between. And when he hit a heavy bag, it would swing and almost hit the ceiling. That's how hard he, that's how hard he could punch. Wow. Like he wow. was, he was tough and he was, he was a great guy off the ice. Fantastic teammate. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah like I said, yeah. Every, everyone says the same thing, yeah. Well, a few of the characters um, that you took on that year, and I mean, you just mentioned them, and the big uh, was Voth. And I mean, he made quite a name for himself over there. He was over there for a bunch of years. What was it like tangling with Voth? Or- yeah, he was a different type of fighter. Like, he was more of a, a hold, he would hold on. He wouldn't. Def- he definitely didn't throw. stand back and throw. Um, but he did very well for himself over here. He's like a folk hero in Cardiff. He's like, everybody knows who he is. Yeah. You know, numbers, numbers probably retired in the whole bit. Like he's, he's like, he did very, very well for himself. And we came over at the same time. Um, and he just got himself into a perfect situation where they like those types of players there and everywhere likes those types of players at that time. So don't get me wrong, but he got himself in a good situation with a good team and he, he took full advantage of it and did very well for himself. I wouldn't say any of our fights were, you know, stand back and throw. There's a lot of, a lot of tying up and holding and throwing and thinking and all that sort of stuff, but he did well for himself and he, and he improved as a player when he came over as well, probably, you know, the same as me. He come over, played, took advantage of it, and, and played some big minutes for Cardiff over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, yeah. another a Western League guy uh, you fought uh, Kazalka. Yeah, he wasn't over here for very long. No, he was in Coventry, and I'm pretty sure I fared fared very well against him. Not an overly tall guy, but thick, strong. But I fought him once. Yeah, but he wasn't here that long. He was in Coventry. I remember him. Yeah. Yep, tough guy. Yeah, and then uh, another guy that played over there for a while, Dion Darling. Yeah, I don't have much good to say about Dion Darling, to be honest with you. Not, not really my cup of tea. Wouldn't not not a he wasn't an honest square off fighter. Uh, you know, I'd like to see any footage of him squaring off with someone. Really, he was more of a I'll just jump you kind of quickly from behind. Maybe a good guy off the ice. I don't know, but as a, as a as a tough guy, and he, and he was at the end as well when I when I played against him. So you know, maybe when he was younger, he'd he'd square off and, and fight, but he was not into that when when I was playing against him. Well, there you go. Well, and uh, and actually another guy from Saskatchewan. He played in the SJHL, and uh, and uh, I know he played against my brother and stuff. And I I had watched him play, and then I was surprised that kind of the success he had over there and in the East Coast League, and was uh, and you fought him a couple times with Skihar. Sean Skihar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah he, yeah, he was really tough, actually. He was in Belfast. He dropped me one night in Belfast. He tagged me with a good one in Belfast one night. Yeah, he did very well for himself. And he was, um, felt, you know, that was tough for him in Belfast that year because he was playing against, you know, we had Throne and myself and, and, and Payette. And then he was a kind of the lone ranger. And um, he was a lone ranger in Belfast. He fought Brant Myers when I was there. We had Myers as well for a bit. And he fought Brant there. So, like, he, you know, he was on his own and he did really well. Yeah, I, I heard he's a really stand, I heard he's a very very good guy, a real honest teammate, real good guy. Yes, I've heard the same <laughs> thing. Um, I, I forgot to ask you about that uh, with uh, 
with with Myers. Um, or I guess that was the following 06, 07 in Newcastle, but Myers played the five games. What happened there? Did he just did he just up? Yeah, I think he was, I think he was just kind of done playing. To be honest yeah. with you, I don't. I think he just had kind of done his bit. And and, uh, and the tough thing is when you come to the UK, it's not about. It's not like. Um, it's not like heading to Italy or Austria or you know somewhere where you can go a coast around. Like if you're if you come over here as a tough guy, you're gonna have to fight. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and he had done that, and um, he had done that. He he'd earned his stripes. He didn't need to be fighting anymore. So so he just kind of I think he just kind of went home that year. I just think that was kind of the end. He fought Skihar. I don't know who else he fought. I can't really remember, but he wasn't here very long. But he was he was good. I wish he would have stayed the year because he was a cool guy. He was lots of fun. I'll tell you that. Yeah, he was lots of fun. Yeah, well, yeah, big, uh, tough guy, man, big dude. And, uh, oh, he was big, big lefty as well. Yeah, and it was, it was quite. You know, you think about, you think about over the years. I got to play with Karens. I got to play with him. Those are two pretty tough characters that I got to play with. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm just kind of looking at it with Newcastle here. Some of the fights yet, and I was, like I said, I was watching them this morning on on Paul's channel. At uh, one dude, and you talk about big um, uh, Roman Ender. Yeah, he was. Uh, he's actually he grew, he grew up not far from me. He's from he's from St. Thomas, Ontario, as well, I believe. But yeah, he was tough. Um, I fought him a few times, um, but he, he you know obviously he had a big reputation coming over, and he still fought. Like he didn't come over for a holiday. Him and Payette had more of a rivalry than I did with him. There was no there was no love lost between those two at different times in their careers. They fought quite a few times, I'm pretty sure. But um, yeah, he was always up for a fight, and he was tough. And it was he was another guy that fought in the NHL, so you know. Yep. Another, yeah. another tough character, and he played as well. He was a solid player, and he was thick. He was like, yeah. he was a man. He was a tough guy. Well, and another guy that's been all <laughs> over the place and fought, and another big dude, uh, uh, Cloutier, Brent Cloutier. Yeah, he was tough. I I struggled with him later on. I, I did well against him. I fought him a lot of times. I can't tell you the number of times I fought him. If it's five or if it's ten, I fought him a, a lot of times. Yeah, and by the end, he kind of had me figured out. I think probably the last couple times I fought him, I didn't didn't win them. Um, but he was strong. He had massive hands, long arms. Um, just, just yeah, just another tough guy, another American League tough guy that had come over. Um, and he fought everybody. Him and Payette had loads of fights. He fought everybody. Cluche fought everybody. He probably there was probably a time. I would probably say Paul and John would be better at this, but I would say there was probably a couple year stretch where he was the toughest in the league. Yeah, yeah, know yeah, he's a legit dude. Yeah. Um. Actually, another guy I noticed that you had fought, and he played with the Regina Pats here for a few years, and captain, he went over there for a long, had a good career over in the UK, was Jared Adams. Yeah, yeah, I fought Jared. Jared's another stand-up guy. I fought him at the tail end of his career. Um, I think he was considered quite tough. Um, he played in the Super League back here, yeah. uh, back then. So, he, like, he had come over a lot. He played with the London Knights, and, you know, like, he was around for a long time. Steady player, though, as well. Not, not a... Not a heavyweight, but would fight heavyweights no problem. But he was not an out and out tough. You know, he wasn't an out and out heavyweight tough guy. But he was a stand up for your teammates, good teammate. He coached. He was one of those. He's one of those guys that's over here that probably should still be coaching. He was coaching in Sheffield, and I think he got. I think he got screwed over a little bit. Pretty. I want to say they won the league or the playoffs, and then he turned around and got fired the next year. And he's not coached since. He's probably had plenty of opportunities to coach, but probably realizes that. There's not much, not much up to to coaching over here at times, at that level, anyways. Ah, coaching, coaching's so tough, right? I mean, you're hired oh. to get fired, and it's like exactly, you know, and it, you can't. Uh, 
pretty tough. I know a couple of friends of mine that got into it, and I know the one. I mean, he's been coaching. He's been, you know, coaching the LNAH and then pro and then junior and all over. Yeah. And he always said, like, he's in it now. I mean, that's his career now. But he said, oh, if I could go back and talk to I would have talked myself right out of coaching. He goes, I'd never, yeah, yeah, never, yeah. you know. Tough grind. It is. Yeah, for sure. Well, one of the names that keeps popping up on your card here, and, I mean, you fought him a couple times when you were at Sheffield the following year, was Big Ryan Schmier. Yeah, we had a rivalry. We yeah. definitely had a rivalry, him and me. Was it a personal um, he's thing? He's tough. He had a, pardon me? A personal thing or just? No, just on the ice. I think, yeah. I, like I said, I was never, you know, there's plenty of opportunities to meet up with these guys that, you know, in team bars and things that have beers with them. And I just never, I never would do that. So, you know, like I never got to know these guys really. Um, but we fought a lot of times. Um, tough, like just really big, had a massive head. Um, was in Nottingham, which was, when I was in Sheffield was the number one rival rivalry. So like he was, he was, t- I would say he was right around the same ilk as me for toughness wise. Right. I, I think that was probably a pretty fair matchup every time we fought. Yeah, I know the fights were like, yeah, they're pretty well dead even. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, one of the guys, you fought him a couple times, was Stephanie and I'm supposed to ask you about a, a new year's story or something. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. You might have more to add to it, but from what like that was the guy. He came up. That name came up on Twitter the other day, and I always say like when everybody pops their name up, he was like Ferone. He was tough, and he had a massive head, and he threw both hands, and he was a smaller guy. And I always hated fighting those smaller guys. But we were playing a New Year's, and my well, my wife now we had New Year's Eve trip planned to London, and I was in Sheffield. And I can't remember. I'm pretty sure he ran our goalie, so I had to fight him, and he gave me a black eye. And I remember thinking, oh, this is great. And we had, we were, we had like, dinner booked and a night out booked, and I had this massive swollen eye shut, and that was my New Year's Eve present from him. But he was super tough. That, he doesn't get any credit or enough credit for when he was over here either because he should go in that list of very, very tough guys that were over here. Yeah. And he was honest, yeah. as honest as they come. There was one fight that I remember. I think he tagged me right off the pop. And I popped back up, and then we had a fight. But he was he was like one of those guys that's a boxer. Do you know what I mean? Like he knows how to throw a punch. Yep. Yeah. He was tough. The story I was told was uh, in warm-ups or something, you kind of told him, hey, like, let's go easy tonight. You know, I got New Year's plans, and, you know, let's oh. not get too crazy. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And then he goes, first yeah. shift, he runs our goalie. It's like, oh, come on. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's probably more accurate, actually, because I remember – I just remember that. I had a couple – I had another – I'll tell you the other one about Edinburgh as well, but but yeah, I remember that night because that that was the end. That was when I was in. I want to. I don't I can't remember. That was when I was in Sheffield. Yeah. 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 He did. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. It wasn't an easy night though. I never had an easy night. It seems. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, there was another time I fought that. Um, I fought that Freddie Oduya in Edinburgh. Yep. And um, I remember it because it was the end of the game, and he just kept. He was really odd fella. But he just kept himself to himself. But you knew he was tough because he fought in the eye. Like he was a he- you know he was a heavyweight. And I remember it was only about two minutes left to go in the game. And I got into the corner with him. And I got in a fight with him. Spontaneous qu- fight that just did not need to happen at all. And they ended up cutting me over the temple. So I needed stitches, and that was no problem because I'd had stitches in the past. It's not ever an issue really. Just a few stitches here and there I've had over the years. And I get back in the medical room in, Ed- in Edinburgh, in Edinburgh's arena. You'd have to look it up, but it's got to be one of the oldest ice rinks in ever. Like, it's, it's old. Like, I don't know if it's 100 years old or 70 years old or however old year it is. I don't know. But it's the only rink in the U.K. that I remember walking in and that Canadian smell. You know the smell when you walk into an old rink? Oh, yeah. 
when you walk into the rink in Edinburgh, you get that smell. And that's the only place that I remember being over here where you get that. But I get into the physio room and it's just like the leather table on top, you know, sitting on the top. And this lady just comes in with a grocery bag to, to, to stitch me up. And I always had freezing, you know, a lot of these tough guys say, Oh, I just get them to stitch me up and it doesn't hurt. No, I'm not like that with, with <laughs> stitches. I always like to be frozen up and then I'll go back out. But she's like, I go, I go, she gets, she digs in this like grocery bag and pulls out like the hook you know, the hooks, one they yeah. do, the hook needle. Mm-hmm. And I go, are you going to freeze this before you do this? Because I was just looking at that needle thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be. And the, the gash was probably, it probably needed about five or six stitches. And I think I had her put three in because I was like, I'm not sitting through this. But I remember asking her if she's going to freeze it. She goes, we don't have any sort of facilities to freeze it. She goes, you want some ice cubes to put on it? Ah. So I was like, no, <laughs> just stitch it. But all that's what I can ever remember because it was such a senseless fight that didn't need to happen that I ended up having to get a couple stitches for it. Uh, tough well, times. Yeah, well, they, yeah, you kind of start, que- start questioning a few things at that point when you're <laughs> holding ice cubes and getting stitched up in Edinburgh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with two minutes to go in a nothing game. Yeah, stay in school, kids. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> well, um, well, yeah, I didn't uh, – well, as far as like – so at this point, you, you know, you've been in London, Newcastle, Sheffield. I mean, in terms of just, uh, you know, how they took care of you guys and everything, was it pretty uh, – because like you said, when we get to basic stuff, we'll talk about a few things, but – how, so far, like no problems with like in terms of you know pay and all that stuff with the first three teams. No, no, Sheff- Sheffield was fine. Yeah, yeah, London was fine. Sheffield was fine. Newcastle was fine. There was no issues with any. I never had any worries like that. Um, you know, when London folded, they paid us straight up. I think they gave us two additional weeks pay. Plus, I went to a new team and started getting paid right away. So it was never never was waiting for anything. Basingstoke was a different story. Um, I went to Bloomington for a short while after Sheff- or right after Sheffield. I got released from Sheffield at the deadline and then went to Bloomington and that was a good experience as well. So it was, it was all those places were fine to play. I never felt, um, you know, there's nothing worse than worrying about where your next check's going to come. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, and I, I, well, I was kind of getting into who you're fighting and we just kind of glade. When you went from so Newcastle one year and then the following year you went to Sheffield, was it, um, like what, what happened to Newcastle? Like to, that you ended up in Sheffield or, yeah, I just think I'd run, I had run its course there. I'd been there two years, and then that was, um, you know, they just wanted to go in a different direction. I think we finished ninth that year, so we had we had won the, we had won the playoffs the year before, and we had finished second. And then the next year was just kind of a bit of a debacle, really. So it was just um, it was a lot of changes needed to be made. And I don't know how many years they actually had a team after that, anyways. There wasn't much hockey left in Newcastle after that year, so we just did, we had a really poor season. So it was time. It was time to move on, really. Well, so you're at, you're at Sheffield, and uh, like you said, you got released at the at the deadline. Was that did that come as a surprise to you, or like? Yeah, it cer- yeah, it certainly did. Yeah, it was. Like, um, I was really pissed off with that because I'd done a lot of fighting for them, and you know, obviously selling tickets and fighting Schmear every night when you're you know playing against Nottingham, and that's the big rivalry, and that's where Paul Paul's from. Paul's the Sheffield fan, so that's when I got to know him. So I, I enjoyed my time there, and then John's the big Nottingham fan, so that's that's the connection there. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, I was annoyed. The coach. Had the coach didn't release me. Uh, the owner actually did because they had they had brought in another they had brought in another goal scorer, so they got rid of me and brought in a, an old familiar face they had a, a previous few years. So I was pretty pissed off that I was the guy to go. 
Um, but then I went home to play for a few months, and that was quite cool again to, to go back and see that because I hadn't been there in a few years. So um, everything happens for a reason, really. So I wasn't um, I was pissed off at the time. Um, don't have you know that ownership's now changed and coaches have changed there, so I don't have any hard feelings now. But at the time, it was a slimy thing that had happened. The coach wasn't even in the building when I was released. The owner the owner had come over and told me, so it wasn't I wasn't too pleased. Well, that's bush. Well, yeah, that was bush. Well, so, it was bad. So you end up in the I like the well, I guess they called it the new IHL, both yep. the uh, Bloomington Prairie Thunder. Um, how did you how did you land there? Did you uh, like okay, you got released, and it's like okay, now what? Like, yeah, I think I, I just looked for teams back home, and they were looking for players. They struggled a little bit that year, so they were looking for players, and that that league paid very well back then. So for you know to to, to go back over and make the same money or a little bit more, that was good. So they had they had good budgets and they oh that's what it was they allowed um they allowed um more veterans at that time so they i don't know if they had a veteran rule or not or if it was a higher veteran rule so there was no problem with me going back there but there was only six teams in the league and it was like it was rough and rowdy every it was like being back in the old united league oh yeah well there's i'm just looking i mean there was certainly couldn't have been a vet rule because i'm looking at the roster and like everybody's in their late 20s and 30s yeah 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 but it was it was cool It it was it was cool to go back home for a couple months. I only played; it was only a couple months I was there, but it was cool to go back home and go back on the bus and and just things are a bit more professional there. With like, I know I know guys that play higher up will think, "Oh, you're you know thinking that riding the bus is professional," but just traveling like the night before and going to hotels and and eating out as teams, you know, that's stuff we don't do over here. You you travel the day of the game and you bring lunch with you, and you know, it's just just going back home and skating on. Some of the rinks over here aren't always as nice as back there, and it was just it was just good to go back and experience being back home again. Well, like you said, a familiar oh, name, Don Parsons. Thirty yeah, was good. Donnie Parsons. Yeah, Donnie. Donnie was commuting back and forth a little bit from where he lived, and I can't remember exactly where his family was. Obviously, it wasn't in Memphis; it was somewhere else. And he was commuting from somewhere, but he stayed at the rink a lot, so he actually slept in the locker room a lot of nights. So he just loved hockey. Well, there you go. Yeah, well, there you go. Familiar. Oh, and then another guy from that you, you know, you'd fought over in the UK was, uh, you know, Jeff Uwasco was there, there and Sam Miller and. Yeah, Sam Miller. Yeah, he was a rough and ragged defenseman. I forgot about him actually. Uwasco had a bad knee injury, so I kind of came in to fill his spot in. Okay. So I'm pretty sure that that knee injury was like a career ender, and that was the end of his hockey. And then I kind of come in and had, had replaced him at that time. Um, but Donnie was there. That was, yeah, that was, um, it was, we didn't make the playoffs, but I don't think we're, I don't, I can't remember how far off we were, but we played right to the end. Um, nice rink, nice small little town. It was, it was fine to play there, but the bus rides were like, we were on the bus all the time. It was like, it was just ridiculous. Leo Thomas was a good teammate there. I really liked him. Sam Fatorik. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he wasn't there when I was there, Sam Fatorik. He was not there when I was there. Brett Holmberg. Do you remember him? No. No. He was like a guy like Dave Meissen, just come in, played a year, and kind of went, you know, went back home. Okay. I don't think he played after, but he was exactly like Meissen, played the exact same way. That's interesting. You actually had Colt Moore's little brother, Jameson Orr, was there too. Yeah, he wasn't there when I was there, but Holmberg played three or four years for Bloomington, and then that was it. I'm just looking down. Sean Fisher was a D-man we picked up from Flint later in the in the year. Tim Schneider was the guy that I played with in Memphis. He was a good defenseman, just solid defenseman. Was was Jason Ralph there when you were there? No. Of course. No, was that the one from Rockford? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I had to mention his name because anybody listening has, and if you haven't, yeah. go to YouTube, 
and talk and there's a, a section where he's mic'd up and he's playing for the Rockford Icehogs. And it yeah, is the funniest the one, yeah. shit. It's him yeah. and like Tyler Willis going at it and he's yelling at yeah. Chelios and Hatcher and all these guys and he's yeah, hilarious that. on that video. Yeah, I remember that. And there was uh, the, oh, when I was going to tell you about the hookup, the hookup guy for exactly. that team was Donnie, was Donnie Margetti. He was the hookup guy. Donnie Margetti knew everybody in town. Well, there, there and he you. was, he, he had played in Odessa. So I knew of him because I played against him a lot when I was in San Angelo and Laredo. And he was in Odessa and he was a good teammate, really good teammate. Well, and like you said, and you were, and you were still, uh, you were still scrapping over there. I mean, or when you came home, I mean, um, you fought Brent Henley and Oliver Legault and David Seagal, and you fought Chris Millett a couple times. Yeah, I did. I did really well against Millett the first time. He was the guy I was very timid of because I'd heard lots about him, and I think when I fought him, I did really well against him. I, I don't think he was 100 percent healthy when I fought him. Um, that went that went very well for me, but um, he he got he got me back the second time we fought. It was a good even fight the second time, and maybe a little bit upper edge on him on the second fight. But he was a guy I was weary of. I'd put him in the same category. This is just me talking of a Lego, the Borsheim. That that's kind of that category I put him in. Yeah, he, a good yeah. player, tough, and he was a technical fighter. He was a smart fighter. He kind of stood back, had long arms. He was a smart fighter. Yeah, he's a big guy. Yeah. Now. He played in Kelowna in the Western League. It was him and Scott Parker. What a duo, yeah. what a duo that is! And I remember watching him. And I mean, he had some wars. And then, uh, yeah, he played in the minors for a long time. Yeah, Millet was uh, he was no joke. That's for sure. Yeah, and he was a good player. He was a good defenseman as well. Yeah. He was, and that's what, what I mentioned with those other guys. They were all good players that played. Yeah, and he was mean too. Like he'd take an extra yeah. shot at you and not feel bad about it. No, he was uh, he was tough, and, and that and that's why I was surprised when I, I did like that first fight. I did well against him, and I knew he was going to be coming back for me. Well, so the following year, you actually go back to the UK. Was that always your plan, or like obviously yeah. you weren't so pissed off that you were never going to go back? But like at that point, uh, and you go to uh, Basingstoke. How did that all happen? Well, I knew I wanted to go back because uh, uh, Rachel, who I'm married to now, we were we were together then. Okay. So I went home on my own that year to Bloomington, and then I knew that summer I'd come back here anyway. So I knew that this is where I was going to be. I just needed to find a job. So the coach in Basingstoke called me. They're a lower-budget team at the time, still still in the top league. Um, but I got an opportunity to go there, and as, the, the kicker there was I got my schooling paid. So I went to university, so I got that all paid. So that's when, when you know Jason Goulet talks about the bills that weren't being paid and guys not getting paid. That did all happen. Um, but for three of us that were getting university degrees, we stuck it out for the year, and obviously for me, it paid off. No, well, I mean that's, no, that was the that was the that was right there. It was the smartest move you could have done for sure. Yeah, because that's I don't know what I would have done then. I don't. I don't I, honestly, I've got no idea. Um, maybe I would have just got a job like every other normal person. <laughs> but but I, yeah, I was. Um, the education was key, and it was it was quite funny because at that time, all the top league teams have university deals for imports to come over and do master's degrees in business. I think it's business they usually get. But Basingstoke had an agreement with Winchester University. An international student could do an undergrad. So I think I was one of the only people that have ever got an undergrad out of that free deal. So that was well worth it. No, absolutely. No, and, uh, yeah, well, and like you said, it was, uh, you know, you had – you know, you're taking on, uh, well, one of the guys was actually another big dude, the ex-NHL guy was uh, Chris McAllister. 
Yeah, I got to know him after because he played in Newcastle, and obviously I'd be up and back and forth from Newcastle with my wife, whether it's at Christmas or any weekends off. So I would know, like I know all the guys that played on that team on the, at the time. So we'd meet up and go out for beers, and I got to know him. And fighting him was like, uh, he like he was uh, like he, I can't explain to you how big he is. Like he's like six foot six or whatever he is, and two hundred and sixty pounds. Like he was big yeah. and he was tough. And one of those fights that are on YouTube. At the end of the fight, he could have hit me with an uppercut, and he could have taken my head straight clean off, and he didn't. And he was, you know, like he was an honest fighter, and and I really liked him. He's he, like I really liked that guy, and he was tough and honest, and it was it was just another guy, another tough guy that I had fought that you know on the same list as Belak and Anglestead and you know uh, Steve McKenna, those types of guys that I had tangled with before. He's at, at the top, you know, right around the top of that list. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and he's a him and I are the same age, and he's a Saskatoon guy, so I grew up with him. So yeah, I know, oh, right. I know how big Chris is. Yeah, he's, uh, and it was interesting. I know he was never a big fan of the fighting. He was never, he never liked it. And it was, yeah. like, and I worked with his dad and stuff, and I remember his dad saying the same thing. But he also knew, you know, that's hey, if you're going to make the NHL and make some money, he's got to do what he's got to do. But and you know, he sure so, did, yeah, you know. But uh, yeah, I think he's a big cat. That's for sure. Yeah, and I remember that was against my old team as well. So, like, Payette and I were quite close. So I was never – I would never fight – you know, I didn't want to fight Payette, but I would have. And I think maybe, you know, Chris kind of maybe, you know, fought me because, you know, I wasn't going to fight Payette. You know, like, it was it was just that kind of that type of thing. Um, I would I would have fought Payette, obviously, no problem, but we were quite friendly at that time. So, and, and, and I mean, we were a bad team in Basingstoke. And I don't, Newcastle wasn't a great team at that time either. So, you know, I had to do my thing, really. I don't think I probably went looking for it with Chris. I doubt he would have asked me for it. I think it probably, you know, he, you know, he was such a nice guy. I don't think he was out running around looking for it. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. one of the guys I got to ask you about before we kind of wrap up, um, you know, and he played all over and he was a Quebec league guy too, was Jason Rushton. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, yes. I fought him twice back to back. He was a smaller guy in stature, but he could go for a long time and he was tough. Yeah, but they keep they they Belfast didn't have any toughness at that time, and they brought him over to do a job. And it was tough for me because when I was in Basingstoke, I think we finished that season with about twelve players. We had a lot of financial problem. We had an ownership come in and save the ship. The the, the company that owned the rink saved us, but we weren't allowed to recruit any players. So we had to kind of finish the year off with twelve or thirteen guys. So I was playing, and I was playing lots. And he'd come in, and he'd come in to, to entertain and to fight and to do his thing. So right when I got to Belfast, warm-up, he was on me. We're going tonight. And I was just thinking, we've got 12 guys, like, and I've got to fight you. You're like an animal. So, But I fought him, and it was no problem. But I was, you know, I think he might have asked me to fight again that night, and I was like, there's no chance I'm fighting you twice and playing 20 minutes here. There's no way. So, And then we fought the, night, the next night in Basingstoke as well. So he was a tough guy. He, he could fight for ages. He didn't want the rest to come in and break it up. He was a tough guy. Well, you just kind of, I, I didn't ask you before, but you're just saying how he was, were you, in warm-ups, were you a big, like, you know, cruise the line and do some yapping, or do you just kind of, whatever, mind your own business? Were you yeah, I think a little bit, it just depends on the night, if you're fired up, really. I wouldn't, uh, yeah, I would, cry. I would definitely do that sometimes. I, I wouldn't do it, for, I wouldn't do it if I wasn't going to act on it on the night, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, if there's someone that I, that I was, you know, looking at, then, 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 then yeah, I would do that a little bit. Um yeah, probably not 
not all the time, but certain nights I definitely would if I knew that I needed to get myself kind of fired up and do that. Then I would. I didn't do a lot of yapping. I wasn't much of a yapper, but I'd do a little bit of cruising to the red line. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the one of the questions I always like to ask the guys, um, just to, and I know a lot of listeners they always ask me to ask this, but like in terms of jerseys and stuff, were you ever like a, you know, um, did you ever do any jersey modifications, bigger sleeves or tie down thing? Yeah. Or, yeah, I definitely did. I did. Um, I used it, when I first came to the Elite League over here, there was no tie down rule. So I think the, that's one of the things Karen's he taught me. The first fight I think I had, I had my tie down on. There's a couple of things I used to do. I used to get my tie down moved up my back because the way the shirts always came, even with your tie down on, the shirt could come over your head. Yep. So I, I learned that in Flint. So that was so from Flint onwards, I always had my tie down moved up to the back of my numbers, and then it could never come up over your head. Um, and then when I got to London, I had those, the coach told me just to, they, they put additional panels in, um, not in my arms necessarily, but up the side. So I've got quite a few jerseys here back home in Canada, the London shirts, I've probably got three or four of the London shirts and they've all got the additional panel up the sides. So there's probably a good six or eight inches in total more so I can move. And then I think the first fight I had in, in London when Karen's was there, I was like, why are you wearing your tie down? So then I didn't wear my tie down until they brought that rule back in. And then, then I'd start. I always had my tie down moved up. That was pretty much the only modification I had. Well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> was, uh, yeah. Now, like, in, and in terms of just like, a, like a, a fighting style, I know you were lefty and everything. Um, when you were doing the uh, the square off, were you? Uh, did you kind of like to go in first, or did you want him to come to you? Well, it just depends. You know, they always say, oh, you got to wait for them to come, but that doesn't always come, does it? It doesn't always no. happen. I think for me in the square off, since I didn't, I never considered myself tough, tough. I think me being a lefty was generally why I was relatively good at what I did is because, first of all, it's because I was a lefty, but I never did like the middle grab because I just never, I didn't like grabbing in the middle of the shirt. You got to be, you got to be Eric Karen's big to grab the middle of the shirt, I think. Um, I was always just focused on that right arm because nine times out of ten they were righties. So I would just when I was circling, I'd just be looking at that right arm. I want to get that grab, and I just do anything I could to get that grab. And then once I got it, then I just started swinging for the fences. Now, would you prefer <laughs> squaring off, or did you kind of want to? Did you prefer rather just like just? I don't want to say jump the guy, but you know what I'm saying. You just want yeah, to get, yeah, yeah. No, get I, into I, it I th- quick, or did you like the square off? Yeah, I didn't mind. I think at that time when I was playing, it was mostly always square offs anyways. There's only a handful of fights a year where it's out of just pure emotion. Um, but I, I think just out of out of norm, like out of what I was used to, it was just always a square off, really. Yeah. Um, I had no problem going either way. I think, generally speaking, if it was like a skirmish in front of the net or the, or the corner and we we're digging for a puck and a cross-check happens, another cross-check happens, gloves come off, I think I probably would have been more... Um, I probably would have more often tied up first and then grabbed the arm and then went. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, well, so that's sort of the, uh, well, I don't want to say that's the career because obviously, um, you, the, the following years you went to, uh, white link and, uh, like what, what happened there in terms of, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say going down at least, well, you know what hey, I'm saying? Yeah. yeah going down. No, that's no problem. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, so- like, why did that happen? And, and at that point, were you sort of just like, I'm kind of done or I'll yeah, just I think it, keep doing but, this? Yeah, yeah, no, it, ser- it served a purpose. So Basingstoke that year, since we were so bad, the next year the ownership put that team in the second division. 
and that division only had four imports. So that coach wasn't interested in, in, in that, that league would always have at that time four generally Eastern European imports. Um, so it was more, it was more, um, you know, those guys would come over for cheaper. They'd come on their own. That's just how that league setup was. So that coach wasn't going to have me as a tough guy come down and play in that league. So I had started my university degree. So I had one year in, I had two years left. The degrees are three years here. So I needed to find, you know, some income in order to, to get through university. The university was free, but I obviously had to, to pay some bills. So my wife was working full time. So that was good. So we had that set up. So I was looking for coaching jobs. I just thought, you know what, I'll drop down and I'll get a coaching job. So I had two offers. Uh, one was in Bracknell in the second division, and then White Link, where I ended up going, was also in the second division. But during that summer, they dropped to the third tier, which was totally fine by me. I didn't care at that time. I wanted to get into coaching and still play and enjoy it, and it was a blessing in disguise because those eight or nine years were some of the funnest years I ever had. So gone, gone were the gone were the days of worrying about who the tough guys are and and fighting monsters. It was go play hockey and and enjoy it and coach. Well, yeah, you're kind of you're kind of pulling the Reggie Dunlap player coach thing. Um, yeah, I know. Watching the YouTube uh, comp, uh, compilation this morning, uh, when it gets to the the White Link section there, oh shit! I'm looking at Bo Dangles. They're getting balls <laughs> sniping all over the place. Yeah, there was uh, there was a few goals there the first few years. It was just it, honestly, it's not um, not. Um, not criticizing any of the, the players I played with or against at that time, but the league was bad. It was it was bad hockey. So like the first year I had well over a point and a half a game or something, and and it was just you know I'd gone from playing at a decent standard to one that was very you know not being critical, but it, you know it wasn't too much higher than you know Canadian men's league. Um, but it was obviously it was obviously run more professionally, and obviously players were paid, and there was budgets and equipment and all that sort of stuff. So it was it was obviously a, a semi professional league with a, a somewhat of a budget to pay for guys' petrol. I would probably put it at the same standard as senior A, but not as good of hockey. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't as good as senior A back home. It was way younger, um, just not as good. But that league got better over the years. So by the time my last year in that league, I would say that league had vastly improved. Well, one of the, yeah, I know you uh, obviously you, you played, you didn't fight as much, and, and like you said, I'm sure there wasn't a lot of guys just itching to fight you or anything. But no. um, one of the names that got, and this is all foreign to me, so I had to get the help of the reprobates again. But uh, <laughs> they told me there was a character that was really built up over there named Chris Wiggins. Yeah, and he was supposed to be kind of the heavyweight champ of that league, or he had the big rep, and. Uh, you guys met up. Yeah, we did. That was late. So that was late. That was my last year playing, I think. So I hadn't had a proper fight for six. Like I, and it's not, I'm not saying anything bad about the guys that I had fought over those years, but Wiggins was tough and we went, we went at it, but it was, I was, I was six or seven years without having a proper fight. Maybe he got the edge on that one. It's on YouTube. You could see it. So it's, it's uh he was tough. He was a tough kid. Um, but it, it's no contest if it's me at 26 and him at 26. It's not even a fight. So it's just, you know, I was 30-some-odd years old and, and old. And but, but to give him credit, he's done very, he did very well for himself over here. Um, he fought, fought Payette a couple times. He did very well for himself over here and played a lot of years. So tough kid, definitely, yes. And he's a U.K. guy, right? He is, yeah, and he's a monster. He's 6'4", 6'5". Uh, lovely lad. Like I got to know him a little bit because I coached in Streatham after that. 
and he was on that team before. So I did get to know him, and I've skated with him over the year. Lovely lad, and 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 really did did a good job for. Not, you don't see very many big English kids that take that role up. So you know he did he did very well at it. Um, but it's it's just tough to it's tough to talk about when you're. It's just difficult when you're that old boy and you got the young kid coming at you. Yeah, it's just a different yeah. different fight. It's no different than when I was twenty and I was just getting. You know, like I, I look at the guy. Some of the guys I fought when I was twenty and twenty-one and twenty-two. I wish I would have had a chance to fight him when I was twenty-six, because it would have been a different fight. Yeah. Well, that's the fight. That's the fighting game, isn't it? Really. Well, like you said, you're the young guy, right? You want the notch in the belt, so you're going to go after him. And yeah, it. Uh... Well, man, there, there was go. there was another tough guy that I fought during over the last couple of years. I wouldn't mind giving him a mention. His name was Sam Bullis. He played in Swindon. We had a fight one night. We played like a crossover cup and played it against the league above us. And he was the, between him and Wiggins, they were the two only proper fights, like proper, like I fought some other tough kids, don't get me wrong, and I'm not I'm not being um, disrespectful to them, but those were the two guys that over those nine years that I was on the Isle of Wight, or eight years, sorry, that those are the two toughest guys that I had fought over here. And I remember I fought Bulas first before I fought Wiggins. I think it was, both were in my last year, I think, or second last year. And I remember thinking, ooh, he caught me with one right, and I remember thinking, I haven't taken a punch you know, for seven years here, this is not good. So I had to get going on it. I thought I'm messing, I'm tangling with a young boy now, big boy. Well, it, well, um, well like you said, you, you've, you've made a, made a life over there. And uh, who would have thought going over in 04, 05, uh, here we are in 2020 and you're teaching and, uh, and, and, and living over in the UK. Um, in terms of since when you went over there in 04 to now, um, the, How's the change in the, in the hockey been over there and the growth of it? I don't, I don't think it's growing. You're seeing rinks closed down. I think it's quite negative right now. Really? Um, yeah, because it's it's a, a big. You could talk to John and Paul about more about this. Like the, I, I haven't followed the elite league for a lot of years now. Obviously, because I was intertwined with the lower leagues and recruiting and coaching and playing. But the elite league still is a full, pretty much a full import league. And there's no, we could have another eight hour discussion on this, so I won't bore you with it. But the, the Elite League is not under the same umbrella as the junior hockey, junior hockey over here, as I mean, minor hockey, and the leagues that I played in, the, the, the National Ice Hockey League, one and two. The Elite League doesn't umbrella all those. So they're not under the same, um, like Hockey Canada. They're not, they're not all yeah. intertwined, yeah. if that makes sense. So there's no real influence from the Elite League to develop players because they're a full import league, really. So there, there does seem to be a bit of a, you know, the, 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 the sports development period, you know, pyramid is, you know, I took in, at university, there's no top to get to because it's too hard. So it's just in a bit of a tricky, a tricky spot right now. They need more rinks. Um, they definitely need more rinks. Is rinks closing? You know, what, you know, every, every few years you're hearing about a rink close. And I, I you know, I just wish it's a shame for me because my boys have played the last two years. Um, the last, my my first son, my oldest start. I started at four, and my other son started at five. And I, I don't know if I don't think they're going to play this year. You know, they play football, they play soccer, and that's that seems to be taking over life right now. And it's a bit sad for me. Um, but in reality, it's if that's what they want to do, that's fine. And it's just, I, I, it's just not. It's not. I think if you're in the bubble, you think hockey's fine and everything's good. But I think if you look at the over overriding development system, you think it's a mess. If that makes sense, yeah, no, and yeah. I, and I know talking to John and Paul. I mean, I know they don't have, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, they're, you know, they grew up watching you, and 
you know, uh, Payette and all those guys. I mean, yeah. and like John says, he can't even go to games anymore because he goes, it's just so, you know, it's just so soft and just yeah, it's yeah, you know. and and I think at that, and I think you're right at that league, and it's t- you have to put both hats on. You have to think the elite league's grown. They're you know they're getting loads of fans and their sponsorship coming in. There's a little bit of TV now. Um, you know, it's growing. I'm out of that loop now. I, I you know I used to know all the coaches and loads of players. I'm out totally out of that loop now. But I see it as an outsider now, as just an import heavy league that is not developing any players. So you know when you talk about growth in the UK, that's going to be the problem, isn't it? Kid has no like I don't I don't think it would be possible for my son, either of my sons, all three of them, to grow up playing hockey in this country in the current system and make it to the elite league. I don't think they could do it. Don't think there's enough ice time available. I don't think there's enough rinks around. You're talking the away games, the away games for an under nine for under nines. That's the first, like your tyke age here is under nines. It's the first years that you can play is under nines, and all the games are within an hour away. Yeah. So you've got some yeah. proper travel for you know a, a sixty minute hockey game with six, seven, eight year olds. It takes you over two hours of two hours of travel to go to a game in most days. So that that's the issue, really. But if you're in the club, the, the club that my boys have been in is in Basingstoke. The junior club there is fantastic. They're, they get them on the ice twice a week. The, you know, the, there's not a lot of games. There's only 12 or 13 games a season. I, there just isn't enough available for them to develop. Yeah, well, that's too bad. Um, well, like so. Uh, well, you know, you're living over there full. You know, full time. Um, do you get back to Canada at all? Yeah, I do. We come back every summer. Um, this summer we won't be able to, obviously, with what's going on. Yeah. So we're just kind of we're just we're just still watching the news and seeing if there'd be a chance of coming home in August. But we usually get home every single August. And then with me being a teacher, and my wife's quite lucky; she can get time off work as well. So we usually come home for about three weeks. Oh yeah, oh, you freaking teachers in your summers off, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, don't get me started. That's another podcast. Yeah, you know, I, I like I said, my my mom was a teacher, my wife's a teacher, so yeah, I know. You know, I will always uh, I always stick up for the teachers, but I like to uh, I like to bust on her a bit for the summers off. But uh, yeah, I, I actually I don't know how you guys do it. I wouldn't have the patience. I'd kill somebody. Yeah. yeah, well, it's it's been a nice um, it's been a nice um, springboard for me into the real world. I'll tell you that because it's there was a time when when I had no education and was really concerned about what was going to happen after. So I'm quite happy with how how that part ended. No, that's tremendous. Uh, what grade do you teach? Uh, year five. They call it years here, so grade five. Okay. Yeah, so nine. They're nine and ten. So I've done. Uh, this is I'm going into my seventh year. So I've done. Uh, I've done year five and year three. Those are the two years I've done. There you go. Well, there. Well, hey, man. I mean, we talked for a long time. There's the uh, the timeline career of Jeremy Cornish. That was a hell of a ride. Yeah, thank you for that. I was, uh, it was good to good to good to get on the podcast finally after listening so many times. So thank you very much. Well, no, yeah, like I said, it was uh, certainly. Uh, yeah, we've uh, kind of talked about it, and um, yeah, no, it was great to have you on. And like I said, it was always uh, was always a fan of yours, and. Uh, it was cool, and like I said again, thanks to uh, Paul and John for all their help uh, setting this up. And uh, yeah. and uh, no, I won't I won't keep you any longer because, like I said, we talked for a long time. But uh, and I know it's late there, but thank you very much again for coming on. It was awesome. Yeah, your time. Good, good luck with uh, getting your old podcast back on there. Oh yeah, we're like I said, we're on the network now, and uh, they've been really good. So every Wednesday's new content, and then Sundays will be uh, yeah, we're getting all the old shows back up. So no, yeah, we're back in business, so it, it'll be I, good. 
I always thought you were partial to the Western League boys, so I never thought I'd get on. Wow, I mean, no, wow, it was just, you know, the problem with the U- U- UK guys is the damn time difference. That's what the killer is. Yeah. So, but, oh, it uh, works so well for me. If you, I could probably hook you up with someone like Payette if you wanted at some point. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, we'll, uh, I will, ser- we will talk in the, in the, in the near future. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, you know, hey, if you know low people in high places, you got to use them, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'll have to think. If you see any guys that you know that I've played with that you want to interview, let me know, and I'll see if I can shoot them a message. Well, I really appreciate that, man. No, that'd be great. And like I said, uh, can't thank you enough. Your stories were awesome, and uh, thank you again. Perfect. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks, Dan. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Have a good night. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was on?